Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to you. I'm so happy to see you. After all this time I still get nervous so <laughs> I'm very happy to see everyone and it's so lovely to see people's faces. Um, I don't want to again say too much because you know this is the most precious time um, to learn about the Quran but I just wanted to share with you a little bit about my um, really amazing international trip that I went on last weekend where I got to meet so many um, people who follow our work and it was an incredible honor. You know, it's like um, we sort of sometimes feel like we're a little bit um, in a reality TV show and you know, so you imagine like when you actually get to meet your audience and people know you and they're like further along in this conversation that um, you know is the most meaningful conversation that you could actually have. You know, it's not about food or you know fashion or anything like that, but it's actually about you know your path and, and God and everything. It's extremely meaningful and um, wonderful to like see faces connected to the names that I recognize because when people write me, you know, I see their names or the people donate, and then I actually get to meet them in person. It's an incredible experience, very humbling, um, and. Also, just, you know, um, the power of connecting is truly amazing, especially, I mean, I, I'm, this is one of the things that I'm so grateful for as far as the pandemic, because people are very open to, to meeting, um, you know, through this online vehicle. And I think that, um, especially when you're on this path of truth and seeking, it's a very, very lonely path, as, you know, we've often said, and oftentimes we'll say that into the camera, and, you know, it goes out into the you know, into the universe and you don't really know who's hearing it. And so this trip was a really amazing time because I actually, you know, met people who are like, you know, I hear you say that you're lonely, but I have to tell you, I'm listening to you and I feel connected to you. And um, one of the most memorable stories was someone who was telling us that, you know, one of my favorite things is to go out into my garden and I garden and I listen to the chutbahs. And sometimes, you know, these, these chutbahs are so magnificent that I have to stop and take a breath and then, you know, um, and then he sent me a picture of his garden and it's truly magnificent. <laughs> but, um, the, you know, the thing that was really beautiful too is like he was telling us about how, you know, he was listening to um, the chutbahs that we gave early in 2019 when we were talking about um, when we lost our dear friend Guido, who was, you know, part of the documentary filmmaking team. And, you know, both of us talked about that and how he himself was so connected that he really felt the loss. And so, you know, when you hear stories like this, it's just so incredibly beautiful. And, and I think it's, um, you know, such an interesting time. I, and I, I, I'm so grateful and I get moments and glimpses of like how special this is. Like, for example, I shared with some of um, the, the groups that I started taking voice lessons. And so this I've taken two now, and I, I knew my music, uh, the, my voice teacher, she's actually um, the wife of Mito's piano teacher. And so we started our very first lesson, it's only supposed to be a 30 minute lesson. And um, we started by talking about how her sister got COVID and how she almost died and how she was in the hospital. And I, you know, I was really interested to know like, how did this affect the family? What went on with her? You know, what was it like? I just wanted to know everything. And um, so I kind of followed her lead and I thought to myself, okay, 30 minutes, but we're spending the first 20 minutes talking about COVID and she seemed to be in no hurry to, you know, like change it. And then she made the point of saying, you know, I really feel like these conversations, I try, you know, I'm very mindful that, you know, my students get the full 30 minutes of instruction, but I never like to stop these kinds of conversations because I feel like, especially in a pandemic, it's a time when we connect as human beings. And she said, for example, I have one student that I've had for a very long time 
and we'd never sing. <laughs> like she gets on and she starts talking to me and it becomes like therapy. And I, I and I t- ask her, are, are you sure you want to continue taking singing lessons? And, and she's like, no, I do. And then they keep talking. <laughs> but, you know, it, and it struck me, you know, it's like people are really um, needing that kind of human connection and, um, you know, talking about some of the issues. But we talk about these issues day in and day out all the time. Every time we're on, you know, we connect with people, even at home, you know, these are like very meaningful conversations. And so I realize what a special thing we have, um, which many other people in the world maybe want and don't have. So that was a really interesting glimpse. And so um, it just underscored for me the importance of having like these, you know, Usuli communities and opportunities where people see me and, and it's not just like you're watching TV, but you're actually, you know, like interacting. And so we feel connected and you know a lot of people said that it would be really wonderful to have sessions like this with the professor and he you know and you know okay so I'll tell the secret every so often he would come and sneak in and you know kind of watch what was going on um I can't I don't know exactly when but I do know that he was there when the the man was telling us about his garden the other thing that I felt to say is when he was telling us that story he started crying and he had the whole screen of people crying because it was such a beautiful like touching story of like um, on the one hand saying you know you you guys say that you feel lonely but you know you're not because we're here and we're connected to you and we're watching and then the other thing that he said that was very interesting he said you know like sometimes I get sad because I feel like these are these magnificent you know chutbas or halakas and then I look at how many people are watching and it's like 60 views and it hurts my heart because it's like everyone should be listening to these but then on the other hand it's like you know now that the the professor has been telling a lot of these stories of the prophet and you go back to the early muslims and you think about okay that who were the, the handful of muslims or the 60 people right in their time that really were able to like make a difference and make this religion come alive you know they were the ones that set the foundation for our future where you know and i feel like that you know and i heard from a lot of people that that's what we're doing now which is an incredible validation and it's just you know and that's what i believe you know it's like if i wouldn't be doing this if i didn't feel like i mean this is my passion and i feel like we're in that darkness and that we have the opportunity to start over again kind of like i mean it was not that we it's an opportunity and that we want this opportunity but it's where we are and so the fact that we have this opportunity um, and, you know, can build hope and that people recognize it is, is something very exciting and very invigorating. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to um, talk about the Cron Project, which, you know, of course, is like my passion and say that this is, I think, you know, the most important project on the planet at this time. And I think everyone should get on board and all of that. So um, that was you know, it, it was great. I mean, it was a really incredible opportunity to meet people at very different stages in their journey as well, because I got a lot of different kinds of questions. Some people who, um, you know, actually the person who had been with us the longest is someone who had been with, with us for over 20 years and was with us at the time that we were giving halakas, you know, starting from al Fatiha. So we're talking about like back in 1996, right? And so she was with uh, me on one of the calls um, to someone, I think, in the UK who was just like, you know, I'm new to the Usuli, new to the Usuli Institute and I'm new to this whole thing. Um, and I, um, you know, I'm concerned because I don't know, like, what this is. I mean, in my words, she was saying, I don't know what this is. I don't know if this is going to take me somewhere I don't want to go. Um, is this like, you know... <laughs> is this a cult, you know? And so I had the opportunity to say, listen, you know, this is not, we're not trying to teach you 
a particular answer. We're trying to teach you a methodology and an approach to living as a Muslim, you know, who's very conscious about social justice issues and beauty and mercy and all of these things. It's the tools and the foundation from which to grow and be the best version of yourself, you know, and that's going to be a different path for each person. And it's, you know, we're, this is not a membership. It's not a club. It's an education. Um, and that you, you know, need to start with the foundation. So, I mean, it's like I, I had a lot of opportunity to just really share um, about, you know, the journey that I've been on. And I think that one really important thing that I want to just impart is um, I noticed that one of the things that was really exciting is that, you know, I wanted to con connect people within their geographic location. So I think, you know, one of the groups, I think, um, already created a WhatsApp group so they could connect with one another. So that was very beautiful. Um, and But the interesting thing um, is that later I connected with someone who was part of that WhatsApp group and um, told me, well, you know, I'm like watching the conversations going along among the, the WhatsApp group members. Um, and one issue came up um, about like the, the uh, what seemed to be a distinction between critical thinking and traditionalism, as if you had to be one or the other. And so I kind of threw it back and I said, well, so by that standard, where do you place the professor? Is he a critical thinker or is he a traditionalist? And I would argue he's both. And, you know, so that is kind of like, I know that when, um, you know, these what WhatsApp groups form. And, I, you know, I, I think that's wonderful because we want to build that community. But the one thing that I, I wanted to say, you know, like I have a frustration with WhatsApp groups and I don't join them because I think they're a time sink and that people are at very different points in their journey. And some people really want to talk. And usually the ones that really want to talk don't know as much. Um, and the people who know a lot more tend to hang back and are just observers. And it ends up being, um, you know, uh, not a good use of time. But also it gets you away from this idea of like an education, you know, like who is your, who are you getting knowledge from? It's one thing to connect and say, I want to know people, let's, let's, you know, just like get to know each other socially. But when it comes to an issue of like advancing our knowledge, um, I think all, all, so many of us are in a very like vulnerable state because we are trying to re, um, re, you know, invent ourselves based on a new approach. And, you know, we have a lot of baggage that we want to let go of, or we just don't know enough. And we're trying to make sure that whatever we learn is, is not, you know, it's not something that's going to set off, set us off on the wrong path and, and take us a while to come back from. And so I think we're here because we're trying to learn from the professor. And so I would just caution people, you know, um, for WhatsApp groups and stuff, that's wonderful because you do need to connect and feel like you ha are, are with like-minded people. But be really careful about now, like, who's spreading knowledge, you know? Like, one of the very early lessons that I learned from the professor is, you know, with the issue of accountability, you know, it's very easy to sort of slide into that mode where you're saying, well, Islam says this. Islam believes that. God wants this from us. And now you're speaking on behalf of God, you know, as if you have the qualifications to do so. The way you get out of that accountability and the way that you present yourself, you know, with, with um, you know, properly and honestly is to say, I'm not a scholar. And I think you often hear me say, I'm not a scholar. So here's my qualification, you know, or my, my you know, let me just preface this, my remarks by saying this is my opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone other than myself. Um, this is my experience, and I'm happy to share with you in that way. But I am not claiming any authority because we don't have the training to do so. And it's, so it's an issue of discernment, and it's also an issue of manners. 
So, you know, I think that you can't, like, you don't want, and, and accountability. I mean, God forbid, you know, like, if you tell people something and you represent Islam in a particular way and, and it's wrong, but you're someone you're telling doesn't know that and acts on what you have told them. That is your accountability. And that's a scary idea. So I think if people really knew that, they would be a lot more careful about what they would represent about Islam. You can say all you want about your own opinion and your own, you know, whatever. And I think the further you go in your journey, the more you learn, it's better just to be quiet and listen, you know, because everyone's sort of in this like, um, you know, in, always in a mode of learning. So... Um, that's, you know, just to put that out there, I thought it was a very, very important lesson and it's something that people should sensitize themselves to. And also it gives you a chance to push back and say, are you, are, you know, when you say something like, you know, that doesn't sound right, you know, you can say, well, uh, is this your opinion? You know, it's, you, you can speak from your opinion, but, you know, I think we're all on this journey of learning and it's really important not to, you know, be careful how, what language we use and to say this in a way that's not like, you know, so um, black and white. Um, so, and I think the, the last point that I wanted to make is, um, about, you know, this whole journey is, you know, I had the opportunity to share a lot about like where I started, you know, when I was 27 and I was like a broken person and didn't know who I was. And, you know, the only thing that I knew really was that I believed in God. I believed in one God and I believed in something beautiful. I wanted God in my life. I wanted this relationship. I had no idea what it was going to take. I had no idea what I was going to be put through. I mean, I literally like, you know, I, I've shared that my first year as a convert was very Wahhabi oriented and very oppressive, both spiritually and intellectually. And so when I met the professor, it was like this opening, like I just knew it with every cell in my body okay this is the path that I want this is the person he's I trust him he's a beautiful person obviously he knows so much and um you know and this is the path that I want and not knowing and he told me I actually remember like very clearly when we were sitting in that very that one bedroom apartment outside of Princeton New Jersey where the search for beauty began he said you know this is a very difficult journey and you may not want this difficult journey and you know and even at that time he said i may not be on you know i've always thought that i'm not going to be on this earth for very long so even if you're on this journey i may not be with you on that journey for a very long time and you know this is like sad heavy stuff but to me i was like i don't care this is what i want and i know i don't know what what that means or what it's going to take me through i just understand it's difficult but this is all i want because there's no other journey so that was enough for me. And then when I arrive here now, you know, 25 years later, and I look back and I say, you know, okay, I started where I literally, I don't remember if I told this story, but someone was rude, like someone came out over to our house for dinner and they were rude and, and you know, and it was my, I should have called them because they were my friend. I invited them to come to our house and meet the professor and meet the professor's mom. And you know, and so the professor was like, you should just call and tell him that that was not that was not right. And I couldn't do it. I didn't have it within me. I couldn't say, you know, that was really impolite or that was wrong. Like that to me was like literally climbing a mountain. I couldn't do it. And to where this journey as you know, this with this methodology and this, you know, the tests and everything like that, where I can arrive here today and be able to sit in front of, you know, a group of strangers and say, ask me anything. And now I can actually, you know, I can either answer 
or I can say, you know what, I don't think that's an appropriate question, or I don't think, you know, or I don't want to answer that, or I'm very happy to answer that, but let me just tell you, this is my opinion and only my experience. It may not apply to you or anything like that. It's like these tools of empowerment to, you know, and it came because, you know, I, I started with understanding, you know, myself and, and, you know, connecting to God and asking for God and every single thing that I do here. I'm like, please, God, you know, help me say what you want me to say. You know, please, I want to, I want to do a good job. Please be with me. Help me, you know. And, and then like oftentimes, like even when I finish like one of these talks and I feel like I did a horrible job and I go back and I listen to it and I go, oh, okay, actually it was not that bad. It just felt uncomfortable to me because it was not what I was planning to say. And I, you know, I had written everything out and I knew what I wanted to say, but then I said, please God help me. And then I recognized that when I watched back what I did, it's because God helped me. Like God helped me say something in a way that it needed to be said. And then I feel like, oh my God, alhamdulillah. And now this has happened so many times, right? We launched in the end of December. And I was saying to someone, you know, the other night, it's like, this was not part of the plan. Like me speaking to people or doing these Q&As or any of this kind of stuff was never, ever, ever part of the plan. But it became, you know, it just became. And like, I've grown and I've enjoyed this. And now to be able to sit in front of people and go, oh my God, I, you know, I can do this, ask me anything question. You know, this is not like a, to say, hey, look at how great I am. No, it's like, I, I feel like I'm the number one believer in this process because it's like, it's just working with you, with whatever God gave you and, and allowing you to develop it and then use it to your full capacity to do something great or I mean great meaning serving God right I mean you just you want to help other people you want to be useful and valuable to other people and then when you actually connect with people around the world and 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 then they play back that they got it you know they 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 received it and that they are grateful and that it's not even just like ah, it's nice to meet you but it was like you changed my life I mean I, I to me it's miraculous and to me it's like I don't know like what what the heck I did and I just you know, I feel like I'm the luckiest person on the planet, but I like, you know, so I believe in this process. And so when I tell people it's not a, cl a cult or a membership, it's an education and an elevation. To me, this is like the definition of empowerment, right? I mean, now I can say I feel empowered, which in a way I never thought I could, that I can, I can say something, I can be quiet, I can push back, um, and I can say I'm wrong. Like, you know, I somebody called me out that I did something and I said something and I apologized because I was wrong. So that to me is like the goal. It's like, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to plan everything. You're not going to necessarily know what your path is, but if you trust it to God and you trust that you're just trying your best to find your way, then God will be there with you. And, and I feel like I'm so grateful that I see that in my own life and it, in the most, it came to in the most unexpected, unplanned, um, and and really miraculous ways. So um, that's the end of, of my my talk. But um, for the Quran project, I mean, I, in in so much of like um, what I think this starts with too. Like when I'm hearing the professor talk about like these chapters of the Quran, right? This is stuff that I've never heard before. Like so, we've been married, and you know, this is what he what he goes to the den and prays all night and whatever, you know, I mean, this is new to me and I, but, but it comes out in so many other ways, right? Um, it comes out in, in, in how, you know, in the living example of, of, of living with someone like the, like, um, the professor. 
And so, you know, if this is where, like, I, I he was my example for, for, for Islam. I mean, literally, my living role model. And so if this, the Quran is what is, you know, the source of this, it just underscores to me more, like, how important this, this project is. Um, so we... Um, so we are today we're, we're gathering or we're, you know, we're talking about the Quran instead of the line by line tradition because we're celebrating 150 donors. Okay. So we had to come up with it. I had to come up with an excuse. I'm like, please, let's do another new Quran halakha. And it's like, okay, here's the justification. We reached 150. <laughs> so he agreed. Um, and then we decided, you know, also that based on some other suggestions before that, um, as kind of an incentive for us on the fundraising path that every 25 donors, which is a good amount of money, I mean, that's like $30,000, you know, that we would celebrate it with another new Quran halakha. Because I feel like every time we hear these, we get motivated again and we get excited again. And, you know, and it's important for us on the path of like raising money, you know, to, to remind people. Um, and um, so... And since that, since we hit the 150 mark, I think last I checked, although I've been, I'm sorry, I've been so busy, I haven't, you know, responded to people on emails and everything, so please forgive me. Um, well, I think we've had another five, um, equivalent of five donors. So we only need 20 more guys till we can have another new Quran Halakha, okay? So let's, you know, let's do it. Um, and we, the good thing is we had a, um, we had a, a task force meeting for the, the fundraising, um, you know, effort. And again, it was like, seriously mind-blowing and inspiring and um you know it's just seeing people get getting so fired up um you know because they believe in it is really infectious and everyone who comes to it has a different skill set and different sets of ideas and a willingness to you know make it happen it's very energizing so uh, you know i invite anyone who hasn't joined on it's never too late you know and any little bit of time you might have that you want to um, turn we welcome and would be very excited to have you on board so um, it was it was just I mean, it's in sense of like building community and feeling connected to like minded people. This was another chance where it was just a really beautiful thing. So um, so that is it for me. And um, thank you so much, um, everyone who came and, and you know, inshallah, um, we'll do some more of these, you know, coffee and question and whatever, you know, whatever we call them. But these, you know, community connection events and um, and then hopefully, you know, it just it's so meaningful to, to meet you and know you. So thank you so much for taking the time. Um, Did you forget your notebook? <laughs> yeah, I'll be right back. <laughs> this is always the moment where it's like, I forgot my notebook. Okay. Let me. Okay, so I guess this is my, um, oh, thank you. So this is my chance, oh, no, look, I'm talking and he's not even here. Um, <laughs> this is my chance to tell stories, and I can embarrass him because he's not here. Anybody have a question or anything? He was like, he actually last night, he's like, are you going to embarrass me again <laughs> tomorrow? And I'm like, of course, that's my job. So, um, but if anyone has a question while, while the professor is getting his notebook, I'm happy to answer. Oh, no, okay. He, I locked the den so the dogs don't get out. Let me go do it. Okay, Sharif, you can answer questions. Hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have, alhamdulillah, we, we actually have the, um, I'm going to embarrass, Cheyenne is here, so 
we had the, the pleasure of um, being part of, of their anniversary drive across country. So and they took a COVID test right before they arrived. So it's nice to have a little bit of an in-person audience. We haven't like, we haven't seen anybody for months and like Mito has not left the house since March, like maybe once. We did like a drive-by birthday, you know, for one of his friends, which was really sad because, you know, you drive this whole long way. We drove like 45 minutes and then we had brought like Sprinkles Cupcakes, which is if you're from LA, they're like the most amazing cupcakes. And so we like got there and he handed him the bag and his friend handed him a little box with a cupcake. I was like, thank you so much, thank you so much, thank you so much. And then we drove another 45 minutes to come back home. I mean, that was like, you know, <laughs> it was so sad. I feel really sad. But Mito's back in school now. Um, it just started this past week. And um, so it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be fall and it's, we're back in school. And, but it's sort of the same. But, um, but alhamdulillah, you know, at least we're, we're home and safe and everything like that. So uh, anyway... Any questions or anything? I'm trying to, okay. Any other stories? What's, what stories did I tell that are oh, worth sharing? Um, I'm still thinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, should I tell that story? Yeah, you can tell about his smell, but I can smell it when But what about my smell or oh, my, my thing? Okay, okay, I'll, I have a paranormal story, you guys. So we, because we, it wouldn't be the same without a paranormal story, right? <laughs> So we were sitting here last night and we were chatting and, you know, we've been doing Vicar and stuff like that too. So, and this has never happened to me before. Like we were just talking and all of a sudden I smelled this like waft of like the most beautiful floral scents. We were talking about Elevate, about, you know, companions of the Prophet, whatever. So all of a sudden the smell and I was like, did you smell that? Did you, you know, and I like looked at the professor and he was like quiet. He was just sort of like looking at me very calm. And I like asked him three times, did you smell that? Did you smell that? And he was like, yeah. And then, you know, because when, you know, when you're talking about, you know, knowledge and things, angels come, you know, and he, you know, a lot of things are around you that, you know, I don't see any of that. Thank God. God did not give me the ability to see anything supernatural because that would just like freak me out. And it's enough for me just to say, okay, that's your department. And I don't want to know, but this was like very beautiful. And then I was just like, holy cow, I have never experienced that before. And so I stood up and I walked to the other side of the room and then I smelled it more. And I'm like, oh my God, come here, come here. And I made everybody come like smell this. <laughs> and then he said, yeah, it's the angels, you know, like when they, when they gather, when you're talking. So, alhamdulillah, whether you believe it or not, I... I believe it. It's never happened before, and it was amazing. So, anyway. Yeah, I think I, I properly embarrassed both myself and him. So, <laughs> he's back. I think I did my job. <laughs> did you tell Baba what I was saying? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> At least I didn't tell a story about Baba. I can't leave you with people. <laughs> Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma shrah li sadi wa sirli amri wa ahla 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 w
اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآله وأصحابه وانتبه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين uh, How's everyone? Everyone is okay? How are you? Are you I'm going to turn on the closed captioning So hopefully Okay, go for it I have so she wants, she wants to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I hand, I handle good and what, uh, what uh, us to talk. It Sorry, recognize everybody. things like alhamdulillah and anything Arabic. It ends up we were, last night we were talking about stuff and and all of a sudden it told us we were talking about cheesecake, and the professor was like, why, why are you talking about cheesecake? And we're like, we're not. <laughs> Did she embarrass me when I was gone? Well, I, I heard from Sharif. Sharif always tells on her, and he told me that she's telling you the story of the sense. But it, it's amazing. I mean, we as long as we've been married, and she noticed the sense, I guess, for the first time. They've always been there. <laughs> They've always been there. They come and go, and and uh, they visited, alhamdulillah, and then they left, alhamdulillah, and we said, assalamu alaikum, and it was as beautiful as always. Okay. So, inshallah... We are going to be doing Surah Yasin. Um, um, it uh, it became clear during the liquor sessions um, that this is the Surah that I should do. And um, I I was told, I heard that, I don't know, every, oh yeah, every 25 donors. So, inshallah, I mean, we, um, it's all in Allah's hands. Okay, so Surah Yaseen, is one of the early surahs of the Quran. Um, it there, of course, as always, there are reports about when precisely it was revealed. However, the the consensus is that it was among the early surahs of the Quran, probably among the early thirties or. I mean, among the 30s or early 40s in terms of order of revelation. And so, again, with these early suar, they are foundational. They, they sculpt and carefully form the Muslim character. Um, the Muslim character that is going to be put at the time of the Prophet ﷺ through a great deal of trials, a great deal of tribulations, 
and that is expected to carry a very heavy burden, uh, nothing less than building the Islamic civilization itself. Now, Muslims throughout Islamic history recognize the importance of Surah Yasin um, to various degrees and in various ways. Um, we have various scholars that describe Surah Yasin as Ummul Quran, the mother of the Quran, uh, indicating its critical importance. Can we really say that Surah Yasin is the mother of the Quran? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it is definitely a core surah, and it's definitely a surah that um, a Muslim must reflect on and must uh, absorb. Um, and it is a formative surah. Uh, th there are a lot of traditions about the blessings of citing Surah Yasin in different circumstances. Um, there are traditions about reciting Surah Yasin before you go to bed. There are traditions about uh, reciting Surah Yasin when you first wake up. Probably the most famous of these traditions is the uh, traditions about reciting Surah Yasin in funerals or um, at grave sites uh, uh, and so on. Uh, this goes back to a hadith reported from the Prophet ﷺ. However, the hadith um, uh, the 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 versions of the hadith that talk about citing Surah Yasin to the dead is problematic in terms of authenticity. The versions of the hadith that talk about citing Surah Yasin or reading Surah Yasin on the occasion of funerals and so on are less problematic. I mean, there, there, there are issues in transmission, but they're less problematic. Uh, there are things that we must we can say comfortably, and that is the practice of citing Surah Yasin and believing that the uh, the purpose of the Surah is to address the dead or that the hasanat from Surah Yasin goes to the dead, that's problematic. And the, it, it uh, doesn't have a strong basis although it's a very anchored cultural practice. A lot of Muslims do it uh, culturally. That's what they're taught and what that's what they, they continue doing. Um, however, Surah Yasin is a strong, for reasons that I, I hope, inshallah, that will become clear, is a strong reminder about the very role of a human being on this earth. 
and it is a reminder to the living um, on occasions of death more than something addressed to the dead. Because Surah Yasin really talks about life and when life becomes a form of death, that there are people who live their life um, on earth, but from the perspective of Islam and from a Quranic perspective, uh, they are like walking dead. Um, They exist, but they completely miss the point. And they completely fail uh, to live the type of life that Islamically matters. Okay. Let's begin with the with Yasin itself, that these two letters, the Ya and the Sin. What that means, there is a great deal of, uh, written about it. I mean, you, you just find, you can read numerous amount of material about it. But among the, the most important and the strongest is that it is one of the names given to the Prophet ﷺ. But even more importantly, for the purpose of Surah Yasin, is that Yasin is an abbreviation for the, the word in Arabic for human beings. So, in a, in a, in a, in a, put it simply, Yasin also means Ya Insan. Where it comes from is Ya Nisin. This is an old Arabic word for Insan. Ya Nisin. And it is abbreviated in the Ya and Sin. Ya as a harf in it, and then the scene itself is an abbreviation for the entire word of Ya'nisin. In Ethiopian, or old Ethiopian, not modern Ethiopian, old Ethiopian, um, and also in the language of Thai, the, um, Arab, the, the tribe of Thai, Ya'nisin meant human being. So when the surah starts out with Yasin, it is as if it is calling upon all human beings. Allah is saying, Ya insan, pay attention. All of you human beings, pay attention because I'm going to be telling you something very important about your life on this earth. And even more importantly, I'm going to be telling you something about what happens 
that makes life on this earth a form of death. So how do you become a living dead? You exist on this earth, but for from the Quranic perspective, from the Islamic perspective, you've lived like the dead. Now, notice that the surah starts out Yasin al Quran al Hakim, the wise Quran. And immediately, innaka lamin al-mursaleen. You are among, you are a, a message bearer. You are a messenger. You are a prophet. So we're struck right away by the invocation of human beings, all human beings, yeah, in sin all human beings, then swearing by this Qur'an, so alerting us that this is the Qur'an that's going to tell you something very important about insan, about human beings, and then addressing the Prophet after having brought to the fore, to the very front, the idea of human beings, Addressing the prophet and say, "You, you, you, are truly a messenger." The example of the prophet, in knowing how to live a life that is not death, that is not a living dead, is critical. In fact. We were just talking about this yesterday. In fact, for those who, not the way Muslims study the life of the Prophet today and they think they know anything about the seerah, which is a bunch of ghazawat and the, you know, it has been reported that the Prophet said this or it's been reported that the Prophet said that. But those who truly delve in the moral example of the Prophet and come to understand what it meant when people would describe the character of the Prophet as the, the Qur'an, what was the character of the Prophet? It was often asked, especially Aisha and the other wives of the Prophet, and their response was always, well, you want to understand the personality of the Prophet, you want to understand his character, it was the Qur'an. And the Qur'an itself described the Prophet as a man of great ethics. And for those, Now, for those who delve into the moral example of the Prophet, into the beauty that was the Prophet, they they realized that, in fact, it was a living embodiment of how human beings can exist on this earth, exuding, exuding beauty, exuding, exuding virtue, 
and embodying virtue and living a fully meaningful, fulfilling life. But here's the thing. Why start out with human beings, yeah, insan, and then swearing by the Quran and then addressing the Prophet for an affirmation of the role of the prophethood? It's as if the Quran is telling us and we'll, we'll see this in a second when, when we talk about the rest. The Quran is telling us, yes, I am addressing the Prophet, and I am, Allah is constantly assuring the Prophet and giving instructions to the Prophet. But you, human beings, Are, that doesn't exclude you as human beings. In fact, you are being called upon to live and re-embody the example of the Prophet as much as possible. So, it, for in the very opening of Surah Yasin, the very first three ayat, you are immediately become epistemologically aware of an intimate linking between the um, between the um, mission of human beings on earth, the role of the Quran, and role of the Prophet a very powerful um, opening salvo by the Quran that immediately these three are linked. And the challenge, the challenge is that you fully absorb the relationship between the insan, the Quran, and the Prophet Okay. So then the surah go, continues Tanzil al Aziz al Rahim, Litundira Kauman, Ma Undira Abaum from Rafilun. So it starts out with a discourse targeted at the Prophet and the circumstances of the Prophet. You are truly a messenger. You have been sent to a people that... Uh, and, I, and I don't want to get into the, the, the long discussions about what precisely... Uh, this is Ayah um, 6. What precisely... The, uh, the, though... Uh, mayest warn people whose fathers were were not warned, so they were heedless. Uh, there is a debate about whether their fathers were war were not warned, or whether their fathers were in fact warned, but that they consistently ignored the warning. This is a, a, a an interpretive debate that we don't need to get into. But the point is, is that it tells the prophet 
God is with you. God understands that you are you have a message to people that, for whatever reasons, continue to be oblivious. And we will see how the link between the mission of the Prophet ﷺ among those people who continue to be oblivious and the moral mission of human beings on earth are connected. There is a wonderful and powerful nexus created between a prophet with a mission and a human being with a mission. And it's very important that you understand this. A prophet with a mission and a human being with a mission. And even putting you on notice that in the same way that the Prophet ﷺ, a prophet with a mission, is to expect rejection and hardship and to expect people to continue to be in a state of oblivion. As we will see, it is also a warning to human beings with a mission. Don't expect to be in the majority. Don't expect that people are going to embrace you for it, trying to wake them up. And this is, of course, you know, powerfully put to you in Ayah 7 where it says, وَلَقَدْ حَقَّ قَوْلُ عَلَىٰ أَكْثَرِهِمْ فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ And again, I don't want to get into the long um, arguments about verse 7. The, the translation I have says, The word has indeed come due for most of them, for they do not believe. There's a long debate about وَلَقَدْ حَقَّ قَوْلُ عَلَىٰ أَكْثَرِهِمْ Does this mean that it is part of the fate that Allah decreed for the world that the most people will not believe? Or is it, in fact, Allah simply responded to the will of human beings who have chosen to be ungrateful as Allah consistently, and we'll talk about this, does, is that Allah accepts your decisions according to a causal law that exists in creation. And when Allah says, the, the word has become due, meaning that this is just a, a fact that Allah confirms in the divine books, meaning in the Lawh al-Mahfuz, in the holy tablets. Um, the second school is the correct one, that... It is not that Allah has predestined the majority not to believe, but it is a fact of life that the majority of human beings on earth will not believe and will not respond to the message of Surah Yasin. And part of being a messenger, whether a messenger a, a, of, of revelation a messenger who has received the revelation, like the Prophet, 
or a messenger, meaning a human being with a cause, is for you to understand and accept that it is not about popularity. It's not about being a rock star. It's not about people adoring you. And it is not even about the expectation of success. Just so you know, because this is always important for me, just so you know how rich your tradition is, Imam al-Shirazi, who's often described as Sadr al-Muta'allihin, um, for good cause, um, meaning the uh, it's a label that is given to very few people, meaning that they have attained the perception of divinity that very few people have attained in life. Um, Imam Shirazi, just from the opening of Surah Yasin, has a fascinating discussion in his tafsir that you can access if if you, uh, if you can find um, tafsir Shirazi about al aql Qurani and al aql al Furqani. And this is a, a, a subtle and and um, uh, a subtle and and perhaps even a challenging concept. But what he in effect says, I'll say it in Arabic just for those of you who know Arabic very quickly. Al aql Qurani al aql alazi fihi mabda tafasil al maqulat wal aql al Furqani hiya nafs alati istamadat min al hudur. What this means, I mean, a lot of Arabic speakers will not even understand what you just said, but anyway. The Al-Aql al-Qur'ani is, with a great deal of simplification, um, the ethics that people are called upon to understand from their engagement with a textual agent. So they, there, is a, there is revelation, there is a text, and you are called upon to apply your intellect to understand a set of ethics that come from this text. Al-Aql al-Furqani is the type, is, is the ethics that you are called upon to understand from the innate nature of things. For those who believe that, you know, the West invented natural law, you know, anyway. Um, and Imam Shirazi told us that the reality is that the majority of human beings are aware of virtues, of the virtue ethics 
innately and intuitively. That is the majority of human beings. But when Surah Yasin tells us that, the, that most people will not believe, what they will not believe in is Al-Aqli Qur'ani. That the problem is, is that human beings, while they innately know a great deal about virtue and morality, they live a life in which they deconstruct and abandon these virtues. And they fall into a relationship of defiance and arrogance and ego with the revealed text because they are not at peace and because they don't understand the relationship of morality that comes from Furqan and morality that comes from Quran. The morality that comes from innately, from nature, from creation. They, they, they imagine falsely that they're irreconcilable and that they're clashing. And that if you are a Qur'ani, and in fact, the Shirazi says that if you see anyone who claims a morality that comes from the Qur'an that is a failure as a human being, then you know that that's a false messenger immediately. That in, in our language today, it's a, with a great deal of simplification, that if someone uses the Qur'an to perpetuate ugliness, I mean, when I, when I did, wrote the search for beauty in Islam, Shirazi was one of the people that heavily influenced me. And there are some other, like Mullah Sadra and Imam Wahyan al-Tawheedi and so on. When I, the philosophy of beauty, I didn't invent. I simply developed into the modern age. And where it comes from, it comes from this embedded tradition in Islam that understands the relationship between the insan, the Qur'an, and the Prophet, that they have to exist in harmony. You cannot have humanity and the Qur'an and the Prophet exist in tension. That is a huge problem. And that's, by the way, a problem when if you... If you ask me what is the biggest failure of modern Muslims, I'll tell you the biggest failures is that they have either failed to fully understand insan, meaning all the challenges of modern human beings, the, the epistemology of modern human beings, not human beings as they existed a thousand years ago, and how that human being must and should exist in harmony with the Qur'an and how this human being must and should exist in harmony with the messenger. When Muslims allowed for these tensions to exist, sometimes irreconcilable tensions, not irreconcilable because of their by nature irreconcilable, but they're irreconcilable because the modern Muslim failed in understanding one of the three dynamics or all the three dynamics, 
and made the Quran and the messenger, the, the, the example of the Prophet and the, the role of the modern human being or the nature of the modern human being uh, created tensions between them. That is, when, when you find all these you know, young Muslims who turn away from the faith, in a nutshell, that's what they're experiencing, although they, you know, they don't realize that, but um, they, they, they see a tension between the revealed text, the example of the prophet, and the nature of human beings. As, as they exist today, not a thousand years ago. If Imam al-Shirazi was alive today, what he would say about this would, would, would you know, would um, explode people's minds. Because to him, it was very innate. Anyway. Okay. So, okay. So then... What is the heart of Surah Yaseen? Surah Yaseen, in my opinion, and in my reflections, and in, in my study of the Quran, the heart of Surah Yaseen is right at the beginning when it describes to us who are the living dead? This is the ayat 8, 9, and 10. Inna ja'anna fi anaqim aglalan fahiya ila al-adqani fahum muqmahun wa ja'anna min bayni aydihim sadda wa min khalfihim sadda fa'agshaynahum fahum la yabsurun وسواء عليهم أنظرتهم أم لن تنذرهم لا يؤمنون. Okay, so the the English of this is the word uh, the, the word has indeed come due for the for most of them for they do not believe truly we have put shackles upon their necks and they are up to their chins so that they are forced up. And we placed a barrier before them and a barrier behind them and veiled them so they see not. It is the same for them whether thou warnest them or warnest them not, they do not believe. Now, some of you might be surprised that I say that this is the heart and core of Surah Yasin. The reason that you would be surprised is that the vast majority of translations of these ayat are deeply misleading. And the way that a lot of people understand these ayat is also quite unfortunate. After telling us, after affirming that this is the prophet and calling upon alerting us to this relationship between the, the insan, the Qur'an, and the Prophet or prophecy, it, it moves directly to describing to the state of a people. And tell us, God said, the majority will not believe. Okay, so what is the problem with this majority? It is not talking, as a lot of Muslims, modern Muslims particularly, think that these ayat are talking about people in the hereafter. 
that these people who are shackled and have a barrier behind them and a barrier in front of them, that that's in the hereafter. Well, look at look again at the language. Most of them will not believe. What is their problem? What is their problem? Their problem is that they have shackles and they have barriers. So, again, the problem is truly we have put shackles upon their necks and they are up to their shins, so they are forced up. And we'll talk about this forced up thing. And we placed a barrier before them and a barrier behind them and veiled them so they see not. Well, okay, so the majority will not believe and they have shackles and they have barriers. That begs the, the obvious question, does the majority have shackles and have barriers? Do you see concrete material shackles? Answer is no. Do you, the majority of, you know, check out any atheist, check out any, any, any person that denies uh, the, mess, the, the, the uh, messenger uh, Muhammad what shackles? So it is not talking about actual shackles. It is talking about, and it's not talking about physical barriers. So what is it talking about? Well, there is a little hint by the, 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 there's a reports on the occasions for revelation. It's been reported that these ayat were revealed when Abu Lahab swore that when the Prophet والسلام, is in the sujood that he's going to bash his head. And some other person said, you know, when, when he's in praying in sujood, I'm going to throw garbage on him. And according to the story, Abu Lahab finds the Prophet ﷺ in, in sujood, so he lifts a rock to smash his head, and he is unable to lower the rock on the Prophet's head. And then some the other guy comes along and says, what, you can't throw your rock to bash his head? Well, I'm going to... He had uh, the, the uh, intestines of, uh, of um, some animal he had slaughtered. I'm going to throw the intestines on his head, and he is unable to throw the intestines on the Prophet's head. And according to these narrations, well, what this ayat are talking about is the reason they were unable to throw the rock or the intestines or the garbage on the Prophet's head is because Allah sent visible shackles that obstructed them and and in fact, one of the reports says that Iman said, well, when I see the Prophet, I'm going to beat him up. It's the same incident. Uh, and then he kept looking and he couldn't see the Prophet. And he said, where is Muhammad? Where is Muhammad? And he couldn't see him. 
And uh, so that these ayat are addressing this historical incident in which people were pre- prevented from physically hurting the Prophet Is it possible that that happened? Yeah, it's possible. But is that what the ayat are talking about? There's no reason to believe that they are. And in fact, I mean, there are, I'm, I'm skipping over the problems in transmission and isnad and all of that stuff. But the ayat are written describing a general state of affairs. It is not, they don't address themselves to specific individuals. They say that you, Muhammad, you will try to alert people to this truth. Human beings, the Quran, the, the message. And most people will not believe. Know that from the get-go. Most people will not believe. Why is it that they don't will not believe? Because they have these shackles and these barriers. So can are we bound to give it this literal interpretation that well, it's talking about an incident when people tried to hurt the Prophet and they couldn't? No, we're not bound. Everyone follow what I'm saying? I, I want to make sure I haven't confused anyone. Everyone following me? Okay. So then we go back again with a word that occurs in the Quran only this time, but it is a very remarkable word in this context. The word is muqmahun. What does that mean? It is describing a people who are have some type of constraints or restraints on them. Their heads are held high. And muqmah is like qamh al-ba'ir. In Arabic we talk about qamh al-ba'ir. Qamh al-ba'ir is when cattle um, are drinking in very cold weather. They have a hard time lowering he- their head to cold water. These, of course, are desert animals that are not have not adapted to the cold. So, Qamh al-ba'ir are a, 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 a phrase that you use as to when animals, literally, they have stiff necks. When used in the context of human beings, these people, the, the image that the Quran draws is that these people have their heads held high, but their eyes, their, their sight doesn't see beyond. So their, their eyes or their eyesight is cast downwards. It doesn't see beyond their feet. So you're like this. Do you see? So the shackles here are figurative. 
and as we'll talk about in a second, and the barriers are also figurative. So what is this image? Well, the Quran itself, the Surah Yasin will explain to us the rest of the image, but I'm, I'm skipping ahead to make things easier to understand. Okay, so why is it that their heads are held high, but their, their eyesight is constrained? They, they, they have stiff necks. They're not seeing what is around them. As Imam Shirazi says, I even wrote down the because I like it. Al Mustakbir end the stigbari he akunu rafi an ratsu la we an unkahu shami can be enfihi la yanzur ilal ard. That it is the, an egoism is what causes the head to be lifted high. You're arrogant. But at the same time you're arrogant, you see very little of the reality around you. So, why is your eyes cast downwards? Because you see nothing beyond material life on this earth. You are so wedded to materiality, to what is empirical, what can be touched, and felt to what is empirical or empirical facts. Your world is the world of numbers and facts. I have money, I spend money, I have an animal I can slaughter to eat, I can I have seeds that I can plant that grow. I I live in a material world. Isn't that a Madonna song? But because you live in a material world and you are unable to see beyond your material world, yes, your held is falsely held high. You are a mukmah. You are a mukmah like the, these cattle. You, your head is held, held high because you believe that you are upholding your, your dignity, your honor, your autonomy, your sovereignty, your career, your independence, you know, all the cool things that, that human beings believe that they're upholding. But at the same time, you're blind. You're, you're a fool. You're exact, when an animal, al-ba'irul al-muqmah, fi khatarin, I forgot the, the but, but في خطر واضح let's say or في خطر حاضر the cattle that is in a state where their neck is held high and stiff but it can't see because of the cold is in imminent danger because it can't see the reality around it if there is a, a wolf come, uh, coming up upon it that animal is in a vulnerable and weak state. Similarly, like these people, like human beings, who don't understand. Now, here we pause with the word Ja'anna. Why do we pause with this? Because it's always translated as we 
put shackles on them. But Al-Jal, Al-Jal, and I'm not going to give you an Arabic lesson, but there's a very important theological point here. When Allah talks about Allah khalaq al-shay, Allah created something, that is attributable, attributable to Allah solely and exclusively. So that's Allah created that. But when we talk about Allah ja'ala shay', meaning, and, and the English doesn't have that subtlety in expression, but that means that Allah created the laws that facilitated the reality. So in other words, Allah here, what, where are these shackles from? Allah created the laws that gave human beings volition and autonomy. Allah created the laws that enables a human being to be arrogant if a human being wishes. So, doesn't mean that Allah put these shackles on you. Allah is not the one that put the shackles. You put the shackles through your own volition by using, by by manipulating or by engineering and 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 moving and dealing with the laws of causation and nature created by Allah. If Allah would have willed. Allah would have created you a believer. If Allah would have willed, we would have all been like the angels doing tasbih night and day. If Allah would have willed, Allah could have created beings like dogs, for instance, that have no sense of arrogance, no ego. They have loyalty. But Allah gave you the ability the ability to defy Allah gave you that ability. Allah said, I'm going to give you the ability to obey me, but I'm also going to give you the ability to defy me. I'm going to give you the ability to love me, but I'm also going to give you the ability to hate me. That's the difference in Jal. That's the, that's the problem with translations that don't spell this out. Is that doesn't mean that Allah created the aglal. You created the aglal by exercising your own volition and choice in Allah's creation. Okay. Now, so these people in the state which is the majority, 
they believe that they exist in a state of dignity and honor because they're rich, because they work hard, because they enjoy the world. But in truth, their perception, it's like the image is very powerful. It's like they have stiff necks with their heads held high and their, 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 their plane of eyesight or the, 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 where their eyesight goes is very limited. And what they're able to see is very limited. And even further, veils descend and the veils descend. Not just behind them, but the veils descend when it says, between their very arms or between their very hands. What does that mean? That the veils separate them from their own selves from even understanding themselves and even understanding those who are closest to them. So these veils, in, in theological terms, if you will, these veils, for instance, makes a narcissistic father who doesn't see the truth about his children or makes a narcissistic husband or a selfish wife or an oppressive brother, or an oppressive, you know. In other words, it, the veils start to descend where you as a human being lose sight of what the Quran will tell you is important, as we'll see as we go on. That you, but summed up in that you lose sight of this critical relationship between insan, human beings, Quran, and prophecy. And you exist in a state of ignorance, in a state of darkness. Theologians in this context often talk about, when they talk about these sudud, these, these veils, they often say that there are three levels of veils. Amal qalb, amal shawagil, amal juhud. The veil that descends upon the heart, the veil that descends upon shawagil is like um, the, what is intellectually comprehensible so you understand your role. So the, the, let's say the veil that descends upon the part of the intellect that guides your functionality in life, your, 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 how you direct your productiveness in life. And then the veil that obstructs your ability to understand gratitude and gratefulness. Um, in this context, I mean, if you're interested in knowing more about this, read Imam Shirazi's tafsir um, on this. Um, you'll find it also in, in, in Razi, you'll find it in, in many other places, but 
uh, Imam Hamad al-Ghazali talks about it when he... But it, it is very interesting that, you know, when I I usually do these surveys to try to, under, you know, try to get a sense of how um, Muslims relate to the Quran that I'm dealing with at a certain time. And it's remarkable that I, among the Muslims that read Surah Yasin regularly, I, I, none of them understood what was anchored in the tradition that this is not a surah that is talking about um, you know what's going to happen to you or this these ayat are not talking about what's going to happen in the hereafter this is ayat that, that is addressing the moral status of human beings in this moment okay Yeah, okay. Now, so, in the interest of time, I'm going to have to move on, although, you know, I, I could speak for hours about the veils. You get a taste of that in my fog, um, what, is, what did I call it? Um, fog of self. Yeah, the fog of self-deception. I mean, um, but anyway, uh, if you haven't heard these lectures, uh, listen to them. I mean, th this is sort of the... the um, okay, so because of the way that they relate to their own ego that falsely lifts their head high but constrains their perception... And because of the fogs and veils that have accumulated over them, Muhammad understand that whether you warn them or not warn them, it, 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 they're not going to listen. Their hearts are dead. They're blind. So it is, and as we'll see, it is orienting the Muslim who will have a mission to the reality that, listen, it, since Islam excluded compulsion, you can't force people to believe. But even more, understand, most people are not going to respond to you. Most people are not going to follow you. So, and, and as the Quran says elsewhere, so teach and warn, you don't control people. That's not what Allah has authorized you to do. This is precisely why in any context in which you find a Muslim trying to control people in the name of Islam, know that you are seeing something, an, an, a gross aberration. There is so much of the Quran that is clearly directed at that scenario. Okay, so, in fact, who is it that will respond to the message? Who is it that will have the possibility of responding to the message? 
Now, this is a point that, again, it's subtle, but it's very important. So, you pause for a second and say, this is verse uh, 11. You pause for a second. So, those who will respond are those already who believe so are we talking about simple iman? Because if they already believe, then, then what are you talking about? You say, well, those who are going to respond to you are those who already believe? As we will see, Surah Yaseen is not talking about simple iman. It's talking about virtue. Those who are going to respond to the philosophy of life that you bring them are those who don't have these shackles and don't have these veils. They have the potential. Understand that the type of approach to life that you are bringing to people, a life that is not committed to materiality, a life that is not committed to simply thinking. It's all about consumption. That philosophy of life needs the type of iman that allows you to see beyond the empirical physical world. Okay. Now, among the most remarkable things about Surah Yasin that inspired our ancestors, and again, of course, we've completely ignored it because we've lost our connection with the Quran as modern Muslims, but is verse 12. So if you look at the translation for verse 12, truly we give life to the dead and record that which they have sent forth and that which they have left behind and we have counted all things in a clear registry. You read this and you say, oh, well, okay, so why is this so important? What, what, what type of discussion could this have inspired? Well, read it again. Truly we give life to the dead and record that which they have sent forth. What have they sent forth? What do the dead send forth? In Arabic, وَنَكْتُبُ مَا قَدَّمُوا وَأَثَارَهُمْ Okay, so we, the dead, have ma qaddamu, and there's a big grammatical debate that I'm not going to get into, is ma qaddamu means what they've done or what they in fact have put forward in life. There's a big debate. Wa 
Athar are, is what you leave behind. So when Allah says, I write what you leave behind, what does that mean? I document your legacy. Al-Athar, when you visit the ancient remains in Egypt, the pharaohs, that we call that visiting the Athar. Athar is what you leave behind. So, as Muslim theologians said, okay, so hold on. It's not just recording your deeds, but it's recording the legacy that you left behind on earth after you've gone. What type of moral example did you set? If you take the most, you know, silly example, right? You're an actor who, in my language, I call it, you were balboos. <laughs> you know, balboos means you, you took off your clothes all the time, right? So you have made 30 films and you're naked in your 30 films. What is your athar here? <laughs> the 30 films are in which you are balboos. And the athar are the impact of the 30 films of balboosness. And whatever these asar are. Now, take a less blunt example. What type of life have you lived? And what type of example have you left behind? So when Muslim theologians make a very long story short, paused at this and said, oh my Lord, wait. It is not just about recording our deeds. It's about what calligraphy we left behind, what architecture we left behind. For some, like Imam Shirazi, what music we left behind. What have you left behind? Surat Yasin says in San, human beings understand if you lived a life of the living dead, as we'll see, that you, you, you were a mukmah, you, you, you walked around like a zombie. The image of a zombie actually fits really well. Your head held high, but you don't see anything. And you allow these veils to accumulate against you, around you, and you went just in life, you know, eating like an animal, consuming, spending money, you know, filling your stomach, going to the bathroom, taking showers, taking baths, you know, copulating, and you just lived a life. But you didn't think about your athar. Then we're in trouble. Imam al-Shirazi in particular, I want to introduce you <coughs> to a part of the, of the Islamic tradition that sadly has been forgotten um, by the moderns. And it, and it often, that part of the Islamic tradition, when it, you, you encounter it when Muslim theologians are discussing 
Surah Yasin verse 12. But Surah Yasin in general. I mean, I'm, I'm just verse 12 is the launching point for that debate or for that discussion. And the reason I want to introduce you to it because it's 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 not just fascinating, but it's actually quite mind blowing. Um, if you look at Imam Shirazi's tafsir in this ayah, on this surah, on this ayah, you'll find that Imam Shirazi citing the Greek philosopher Pythagoras. Um, not something very consistent with Wahhabi Islam of today, right? He cites the Greek philosopher Pythagoras to make what point? Imam Sharazi belonged to the school of thought that said that that explored the process of creation of shackles and veils. And to summarize what they argued is that they said, I, I'm sorry, I'll just for those who know Arabic, I'll just say it very quickly. So this is very quickly just for the benefit of the Arabies. Um, um, so what is that? He's saying the problem is that when you commit a sin, or you do something good, either way. It is as if it, your, the, the wiring of your brain changes. So initially, your very perceptions in life, the way you see things, are shaped and crafted by whether you choose to do good or you choose to do bad. And it is, the more you do it, the more it moves from the realm of a habitual occurrence to changing your very nature. In, in the language that I use, it's, we say it changes your aura. But what Shirazi is talking about is that, listen, if you think that your behavior doesn't adjust your perception of reality, your consciousness, you're wrong. The, the, and that is why Allah, for instance, decreed prayer. It is to try to create these neurological pathways in your brain that prevent you from going completely off the deep end. At least, you know, something is held together in your consciousness if you're doing a lot of wrong. But there's even something more, is that they believed that when you did good or bad, 
you in fact created energy. And this energy became like, like a, an, an, an animated organism. So if you talk to Shirazi, he would tell you, you know, a lot of people create their own demons. Why do you create your own demons? Because when you do things that are ugly, you're actually creating a ball of energy that is animated, that is dark, that will haunt you. And that will haunt you and that demons then use against you. But it is, it is your monster. And in the same vein, you create your own positive energy, your own angel, if you will, that aids you and blesses you. So this, they believed in what they call al-ajsam al-hulamiya, holographic beings. And it is your deeds that create that energy that aids you towards goodness and the energy that oppresses you towards evil. And that is why people who commit a lot of sin, it's not only becomes easier for them to do more and more sin, it becomes even harder for them to stop doing it. Because now they're haunted by an animated darkness that will not leave them alone. And it takes a lot of hard work to cleanse that darkness, to kill it, if you want to change. And, you know, they go at great lengths about that. This is what Surah Yasin is talking about when it's alerting you to the state of shackles, the state of sudud, the state of iqham, that, you know, it, if you only see the material world, all of this you will not understand. If you only understand the material world, you have no access to spirituality, to the world that surrounds you. And, and as we'll see, even the jinn, because the, the Surah Yasin is conscious of the fact that those who are mukmahun will say, what jinn? We don't see jinn. But they surround you everywhere. In the same way that angels surround you everywhere. In the same way that gravity surrounds you everywhere. Energy surrounds you everywhere. So, uh, things that you don't see all the time surround you. Okay. So... My friends, no, to be Islamic, my akhi and ukhti, my brothers and sisters, my brothers and my sisters, <laughs> it's, it's Surah Yasin is, is very heavy, and, and that's why I, I, I actually hesitated in doing it, and I kept like praying, hoping that Allah would tell me, don't do it. And do Surah Al-Qasas instead, you know, something heavier. Surah Yasin is heavy. Uh, 
but you know, couldn't get up. So before we move to the next section, which is another level of, you know, now the surah is going to take us deeper into the message. Let's take one minute break. I just need to use um, Okay, one minute. Wahid. <laughs> Wahid. How many of you are doctors? One, two. One, two. How many of you are in the medical field? Just two? Just two. Two. Okay, well, I drink a lot of Coke. So, <laughs> you know. Yes, it says me too. Adam says me too. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, Adam, Adam has joined his coke. <laughs> well, I, I would say well, you're... We a good, forgive you. It's okay. I, I would say it's a good thing. What did you say? We forgive you. Oh, it's okay. I, I would say it's a good thing, but it's not. <laughs> the doctors told me it's not a good thing. So, haram, you know, may Allah forgive me for this. Iqham. Because when it comes to coke, I am a muqmah. I don't see beyond my feet. Okay. Did uh, Grace tell you we were honored with visitors? Yes. You told them? Yeah. So, inshallah, may, may all of you come visit us. And the days that come, we would be truly happy and honored if you visit. These guys even did a corona test before they came, so they're just so beautiful. Cheyenne and Jenna are just a beautiful couple. I'm just so... When I see them, it just fills me with light, you know. And we'll see Surat Yasin talks about couples. So I'm not actually going out to Surat Yasin. It even talks about couples. So it talks about them. It has a message for them and to all beautiful couples like that. Okay. Maybe that's why Allah chose Surat Yasin. So then the surah takes us, moves, shifts to a story about a qarya, a town. And this, the, the, the Quran doesn't tell us what town, just a town. And it tells us that this town had two messengers sent to it. And as we will see, not, not just the two messengers, but even a third messenger sent to it. And things don't go well for, this, for these messengers in this town. They, they don't, or they're not received well. In the books of tradition, it tells us that they tell us that the, the that this town 
is pro probably Antioch, the town of Antioch, Antioch. And uh, it was Jesus that sent, um, according to books of tradition, they say that it was Jesus who sent Yohanna and Bolus and Shamon um, to the town. And uh, this is what the Quran is talking about. These traditions are problematic. You can't, I mean, they're interesting. They're speculative that, in fact, this is a town, Antioch is the town, and that Jesus sent, uh, there, there is a, lot, a serious problem with saying that it was Simon and uh, John and Paul Shamoun, Yohanna, Bolus. I mean, if, if, for for anyway, I don't want to get into why it's all all the problematic thing. The most important issue is the the parable about the town itself. So the messengers go to the town. And the messengers tell the people of the town about what Ar-Rahman, note, Ar-Rahman has sent. And the people of the town say, Ma Rahman the, the Rahman hasn't sent anything. You're lying. And the, as is typical of people who's who exist in blindness, what is their reaction to people who come to them and speak truth? Who speak about virtue and morality and about ethics and about righteous living? You pause here. What is You are bringing us Bad omens. So they said, You are but human beings like us, and the Rahman, the compassionate, had sent down nothing. You are lying. They said, Our Lord knows verily we have indeed been sent to you, and so on. And then they said, Truly, we augur ill of you. You seize not if you seize not, we shall certainly stone you, and a painful punishment will certainly before before you. Now Tatayarna becomes translated as uh, uh, what is it, Agar ill of you or ill omen. Tatayarna means when you jump, you don't you're not responding to the actual message on the merits but you say you are a threat to us we see you as a threat a threat in ill-defined terms and that is in fact the reaction often to people who exist in blindness to those who call them to morality we fear you. Why do you fear us? We just fear you. You scare us. Why do, you, why do we scare you? You just scare us. 
because of these veils, and if you take the, the school of thought that Shirazi comes from, because of the bad energy, if you will, that you've created around yourself, you exist in fear of exactly the type of thing that you should embrace. Morality, virtue, righteousness. What is morality and virtue? Sarah Yassin will tell us morality and virtue is, for instance, feeding the poor. Instead of it, say, oh, that makes perfect sense. No one should starve where we are. People should not suffer. No, it scares you. Our way of life is, I get to enjoy what I have, and the rest be damned. And if someone comes and tells me, you know what, you have to share what you have. You, you can't live a selfish life. Your reaction is, you know what, you scare me. You make me apprehensive. You make me exist in a state of dread. So, this is the reaction to the, the three messengers, whoever they are, and threats. Ultimately, shut up or else. And that's why you, you see in so many parts of the world, it is the most righteous people who are being tortured in prisons. Um, you scare us and... Our solution is to shut you up violently through the exercise of power. And the exercise of power in an unjust and tyrannical and despotic fashion. So in this context, then the Quran tells us about this man who comes from the margins. So a man that comes from the margins. Why a man that comes from the margins? Is a reference to a marginalized man. The Quran is alerting us to what? That it is the marginalized that will often come having it is the marginalized, if you will, in our language today, the disempowered, who will have the greatest possibility of actually responding. And this man comes and says, you know, what these people are telling you are for your own good. They are, in fact, truly guided. Your fear and your threats are not justified. So, and, and I believe. At that point, the Quran tells us, The response is, okay, you are blessed and you are saved. You get to go to heaven. Again, in the tradition, it tells us that the man is his name was Habib al Najjar, and that this man was a farmer at the 
marginalized farmer, small scale farmer, and that he goes and he says, you know, the, this is the this is the truth, and you know that this is the truth, and as a result, he is killed. There are different reports as to how he's killed, that he's stoned to death or beaten to death or rocks are, his head is smashed, um, so on, and that. When the Quran comment says, it's because this man effectively was martyred. Again, we have the same problems with the reports about Habib al-Najjar and whether a man called Habib al-Najjar ever existed in Antioch at the time, around the time of Jesus. It's, it's not, you can't rely, but you can't rely on it. But what is important and far more important is the metaphor itself, the parable. And you pause here when the man is killed as a result or tortured and killed as a result and he is then received with redemption at waqila idkhul jannah enter heaven. His response is, I wish my people knew the truth. Here there's a, a, a sort of a, a, a nice thing to notice. Is the, the fact that this man cared about his people. It is not, he's, he's not a selfish, self-centered man. It's a man who tried to intervene with his people righteously paid the price, and his response to this, you know, if they only knew the truth, I wish they knew the truth. Okay. What is important here is notice that this is a normal average man which harkens back to the beginning of the Surah Yasin, calling upon human beings. This is an average man. He's not one of the messengers. The clear message here is that the average human being bears the burden and even if that burden leads to the ultimate price, that what Surah Yasin is, although it is talking to the Prophet, but it is talking to the Prophet about the obligations and duties of average human beings. And then this remarkable Verse 30. Allah comments on this by saying, Let's see how they translate it.
Yeah, they just translated it. Alas, for the servants, never did a messenger come unto them, but they, but that they mocked him. Ya hasratan al-ibad is far more nuanced than alas for the servants. It's like saying, it is so sad what human beings always do. It's as if Allah is commenting, saying, you know, I, I know you guys. I know that the way that you react to the truth and the way that you react to the marginalized, the way that you react to the disempowered, and the way you react to the messengers of God, who are always, by the way, among the disempowered. They, they're never, you know, they're not the powerful people. Is that you mock them. You, so put together their reactions. Their reactions is, you feel anxiety. You use threats. And you mock. You poke fun. And Allah tells the Prophet, والسلام, and tells us, you know, it's, it's tragic. It's really sad. That I give you free will. And so it is. Elsewhere, we know that Allah tells us, Allah has angels, يسبحون بحمد يفترون. They are constantly singing, the, the, the worshipping Allah. They never tire. But this is not you human beings. You human beings were given something divine. As we will see in a second. You were given free will. But it's so tragic. What you do with that free, free will is instead of using it to see beyond what the angels even could see, you look just simply down at your feet where you step and you're unable to transcend that. Because the truth of the matter is, Because if you really knew, the truth of the matter is, you're all going to come before me. You know, you, you, you play your games, you raise your head, you, put, you impose the shackles upon yourself, you put the veils upon yourself, but when all is said and done, you're all going to be dragged before me. You're going to smuhdarun. You're all going to just stand there before me. Okay. In the context of um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I forgot this. Um, if you look at um, verse 17, verse 17 is very simple. It tells you, and not is incumbent upon us save the clear proclamation. I mean, again, the English is, 
وما علينا إلا البلاغ المبين what what Allah has obligated Allah's self to do is al-balaghul mubin is the clear message because again our ancestors took the Quran far more seriously than we did do you know that this short <laughs> few words وَمَا عَلَيْنَا إِلَّا made them pause and have long discussions about what what that really what that does that really mean al balagh al mubin and in this context they often talk about that when allah says it is the clear balagh that it is the clear message that we've obligated ourselves to give you they talk about al aql shar'un min dakhil والشرع عقل من خارج. This means is that reason is an internal sharia. And sharia is an external reason. So in other words, you have sharia inside of you. While the laws, the discourses of about the laws that exist in books are what they ought to be, what the law ought to be, is an application of reason for external to you. So what they're saying is, is that the law is innate to you. And in order for the law to actually address this innateness, the law itself has to be rational. This is just a side for all those who, in the modern age, who think that Islamic law can be cruel and ir- irrational and unresponsive to human needs. That's not the way that the, the, the whole usul and usuli method was developed. The law must remain relevant because the law has to remain rational. In a word, reasonable if the law ceases to be reasonable there will develop a gap between the innate discourse inside the intellect and heart of a human being and the way people talk about the, the god's law externally and that's not acceptable that is, if you want to understand a lot of the problems that Muslims suffer from today, it's exactly this, the gap between a law that no longer is reasonable and the inside of Muslims that has become confused because they were denied the license to use reason to understand the law. When I come to you and I say, no, you can't, you can't evaluate the law according to rational standards, you become lost. The balagh al-mubin becomes confused inside of you. Well, if I can't use reason, so what do I do? Well, you just have to obey the text. But innately, 
We know that that doesn't work. We innately, we know that. And because we innately know that, hypocrisy develops in the heart. We'll say things like, Sharia is absolutely just, but, but, no one, but none of us want to live in a Sharia state because we know it would be cruel and unjust. That's hypocrisy. But it's not our fault. It's the fault of those who shepherd the law. That's not our fault. It's the fault of those who speak for the law because the law is no longer in sync with our reasonable and rational abilities. It no longer talks to our hearts. It has become an agent of blind power. Those who have power will apply the law the way they want to apply it, and we are just supposed to submit. How is that balagh mubin? How is that balagh mubin? So, when I talk about the plight of Puritans, what I mean is exactly this. I mean, all, all of this comes from it. A methodology that is centuries old, built upon generations and generations of people who thought very seriously about the text of the Quran and the guidance of the Quran. And the guidance of the Quran is not just, you know, a bunch of hadith that you read and you implement. If we are going to have a chance those who shepherd the law have to go back and understand the tradition that spoke al-aql shar'un dakhil wa-shar' aqlun kharij you find this language i mean in in many different places but again if, if you want the easiest and the most direct access to it look at tafsir al-shirazi on verse 17 Okay, now I again forgot something. I'm, you know, I'm sorry that I have to jump back and forth because I, I do forget things. And um, and remember that you know, in these types of tafsirs, I, I jump over a lot. I skip a lot to get to you to to get the crux of what the the surah has to say to you uh, through. Uh, Often in talking about verse 19, this is the verse where the, the people react to the messengers by saying, you scare us, you make us anxious, you make us apprehensive. We find a very fascinating discourse about the, what precisely creates that fear in human beings from people that are calling them to their conscience. And the elaborations often talk about how human beings, when, when they worship idols, for instance, they're not really worshiping stones. They're not that stupid. What they are worshiping is a constructed narrative as they say, 
عقائد جزئية لصور وهمية that they have constructed narratives about what makes them safe in life. We all construct narratives about what makes us safe in life. And our narratives about what makes us safe in life could be, well, you know, if we hang this omen in our living room, we'll be safe. If we have an evil eye charm, we'll be safe. If we slaughter an animal for the sake of that power deity, we'll be safe. But it doesn't stop there. Well, you know, if I do X, Y, and Z, I will be safe. All of these are constructed narratives as to what makes you safe in life. Constructed narratives could be about degrees, schools, careers. It could be about relationships, connections. It could be about uh, community ties, tribes, societies, nations. Well, if I, I am an American, that's what makes me safe. All of them, all of these constructed narratives are a form of worshiping other than God. The most pure faith is the faith that recognizes it is all Allah. Your career is Allah. Your future is Allah. Your income, your risk is Allah. Your family relations is Allah. Your marriage is Allah. Your relationship with your children is Allah. It's all Allah, 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 Allah. But the majority of human beings don't do that. The majority of human beings construct narratives of safety. Well, if I just do X, Y, and Z, I will be safe. Well, you know, Allah could send a little virus that paralyzes you or kills you and takes you out of the entire equation. It is Allah. And if Allah allows you to go about, you get your degrees, you, you know, you, 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 you graduated the top of your class, you get your, your diploma and you get your career, and you get your income, and so on. Well, the truth of the matter is, it is Allah that allows you to get all of that. It is not the, the things that you used that are constructions of human society to believe that you've been enabled. It is actually you've been enabled by Allah. And so gratitude belongs to Allah. So, but for in this context, some of the most beautiful theological writings say that most human beings really worship what they believe. In other words, they worship their mythology, their superstitions. Do you see why Surah Yasin is so critical? It just opens up layers upon layers upon layers. It, it just takes you 
and says, you know, wake up. There's the, 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 you as a Muslim, you're being called to wake up to a reality of your life on this earth and the life beyond this earth and that most human beings are living dead. I keep coming back to this to, to, to this idea because of how critical it is. Now, Surah Yasin is a surah in the Quran. Where did I put this? I remember I wrote it. Yeah. In which the word mubin is repeated the most often. It's repeated seven times in Surah Yasin. Imam Mubin. Dhalal um, Mubin. Adu Mubin. Khasim Mubin. Quranun Mubin. What is the significance of this? Mubin means something that separates falsity from absolute truth. So when I say Quran Mubin, it is a Quran that that exposes the truth, lays it bare. If you say Dalal Mubin, it is a misguidance that takes you in absolute darkness. So Surah Yasin repeats the, 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 the expression Mubin. Surah Yasin is Surah Al-Ibana. What that means, it is the Surah that lays bare the facts of life to you most powerfully and most unequivocally. They didn't call it Surah Al-Ibana, but they always described it as Surah Al-Ibana. It is the Surah that tells you the relationship between the Insan, the Quran, and Al-Rasul, the, the Messenger. And it is the surah that differentiates between the living dead and the truly living. This is no small thing. And we notice that each surah, like in the same way that we have surah where Rahman is used the most, and that tells us a great deal about the, the purpose of the surah. In surah Yasin, that expression, mubin, is used the most, and that tells us a great deal. Okay. So then, after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, it is really sad. It is really sad what human beings do to themselves. Ya hasratan al-ibad. They use mockery. They joke around to avoid confronting the truth. As again, a usual Quranic um, 
method, Allah points to history. It says, look at history. Haven't they seen what has, the story of, of nations before them? Nations rise. Nations believe that they are in control, that they have all the power. But they crumble. And the story of nations, the story of nations, mirrors the story of human beings. That haven't you noticed that human beings reach the 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 you know a point in their life where they're in complete mastery of themselves? They 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 have their memory fully intact, their bodies are fully intact, and then they start aging. And as they age, they lose their memory, they lose their knowledge, they lose their their, their ability to react to things. And they eventually die. Look at the narrative of creation. Nothing stays. All of you, human beings, and even you, prophet, all of you will get old. And as you get old, all of you will deteriorate. And all the doctors present with us are not going to be able to do anything about that. They're not going to be able to stop the aging process. And they're not going to stop death. It's going to come. I'm not picking on doctors. I love doctors. My sister is a doctor. My entire family are doctors. Uh, you know, just me who's a loser lawyer. Um, so, you know, God bless the doctors. My sister deals with dead people all the time. She cuts up dead people. Pe people who died in crimes and accidents comes to her and she like cuts them up. Huh? Oh, yeah. No, she's used to it. She used to be like the person who would get like grossed by, terrified of it. If there's a cockroach in the room, she would scream and refuse to enter the room for hours. <laughs> And now she carves up dead people as she's eating a sandwich. You know. She also goes to crime scenes and sees really horrible things. And What do you call these, these doctors? Forensic. forensic. I didn't hear that. Forensic. Forensic. Oh, forensic. 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 Okay, yeah. Yeah, life is strange. By the way, she listens to these uh, tafasir, so salam alaikum Ines. I hope you're doing well. Okay. Now, so after reminding us that all of you will, you're going to be, kullun mahdarun, all of you will come before Allah. Now, note here, <coughs> yes, Allah often points to history. But we also know that the Quran constantly points our attention, and this is what this is now the the state that is contrary to the Mukmahun, the the people who are not Mukmahun, the people who are not frozen, the living dead. They reflect upon history, but they also reflect upon nature, 
and they reflect upon death, and they reflect upon, as we will see also, the supernatural, in other words, that which is beyond the physical. So then it moves to nature and it says, you know, it is a sign. This is a sign to you. What is the sign to you? The sign to you is that we take something that is dead and we bring life from death in the same way that we bring death from life. Now, that reference to that we, we bring life to the dead earth is a reference to the potential, not other than alerting you to, to the miracle of the growth of nature, but it is also a reference to God's ability to transform those living dead into fully living human beings. Human beings that in fact see beyond, they're not mukmahun anymore, that see beyond their feet. This insight is not mine. This has been noted by so many um, commentators and so on. Um, Yeah. Okay. So then it talks about okay, you you know, look at the 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 example of, of nature life can come from death. The fact that you're lost is not the end of it because it is through the power of Allah that you can be brought to guidance. But then the shift, remarkable shift, and whenever the Quran has a remarkable shift, it is something that you need to pause and reflect on. Subhanalladhi khalaqan azwaja kullaha mimma tumbitul ard wa min anfusihim wa mimma la ya'lamun Whenever Allah says, Subhanallah, Praise be to God. It's, that's a bad translation of subhanAllah, but it's like... Yeah, it, it's like... It's like as if Allah is telling you reflect about something that is beyond... That, that requires be something more than just a superficial perception of reality. So whenever you see subhanAllah... It is as if like a code. Allah is telling you, reflect, because I have something serious to tell you. What is this reflection? It is about the azwaj. That Allah creates partnership. Okay, the partnership that comes, that is the secret of creation not necessarily copulation, but a process in which something comes with something else, like the very nature of DNA reproduction. You know, without the, 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 the 
DNA code being read by an RNA code or whatever, the, the, the very process of life would not continue. But that is then followed with and partners from you, min anfusihim, and partners from what you do not know. So partnership as a secret to life, to nature, life and nature, but partners from within you and from what you not, do not know. Okay. So, I kept reading enough tafsir until I found a discussion. Someone else discussed um, what struck me from dhikr and prayer. So life comes from partnership. We know from elsewhere in the Quran that Allah often emphasizes the role of marriage in sustaining life. But here is a reference to partnership in itself can contribute to the process of perception and guidance and can also contribute to the process of blindness and misguidance. So, maybe if I knew how to use a computer, maybe it wouldn't have taken me so long. But eventually, um, I'm blanking out on the name of the book. It, 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 the title of the book is something like The Stages of Those in Flight. Ahwal al-Ta'irin ila Rabbil Alameen. It's a fascinating theological treatise about those who elevate as if in a state of flight towards Allah. And it says that Surah Yaseen, and this is what, you know, I was trying to search for some comfort affirmation, that it's telling us, insane human beings, know that your partnerships are a very important part of your life. And these partnerships could contribute to the state of iqham and sudud and chains. It could be what partners as a couple, the type of shackles and veils that they construct collectively together, or it could be a vehicle for perception and liberation. Put differently, your partnerships could be a means 
to being alive in life or being the walking dead, dead in life. As Ahwal Ta'irin said, so many people are seeing until they marry. Bad news. <laughs> that they actually live with great potential, but then they end up in a wrong partnership or marriage convinces them that now they have children, they have obligations, they have duties, they forget Allah. While when you have children, it, Allah should be at your, it should bring Allah at the front, forefront. Because now you really need Allah. Because your children could, could grow up and be an absolute horror. They could be the source of your torment. You know, if they go wrong. But in fact, what often happens is that people use their children and use their families as an excuse to become blind. Well, you know, we have to make money and make more money and make more money to take care of our children. It's all about, the, you know, I've got to guarantee the future of my children. You get the picture. It's, for me, it's mind-blowing. Because it wraps up everything that intuitively I know is true. But it just very powerfully reminds me, you know, we're not going to let you off the hook. These are all realities, and I'm confirming that they are realities that you know to be true. As much as you mock or you try to escape or you say, you know, you get anxious, you freak out, and you run away because you, you, you freak out. But you know all of this to be true. Okay, and then the reference to the, the, the movement of planets. Uh, I'm not going to get into the discussion about this. But basically, the, 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 you know, everything is created according to an intimate order. The sun, the moon, if, if the sun changes course, an iota. If the moon changes course, an iota. Life would not work. Everything is measure, measured meticulously. And that in itself is something that Allah repeatedly throughout the Quran tells us to reflect upon. The, the chances of life existing without Allah being the 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 craft the the crafts per the uh, uh, without Allah being the the maker the meticulous builder and engineer behind this life is such a remote possibility that for you to believe that it existed by coincidence is insane. So okay. Then the, the Surah Yasin moves on to say, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اتَّقُوا مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَمَا خَلْفَكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَرْحَمُونَ This is 45. And when it is said, to them, be mindful of that which is before you and that of which is behind you, 
and that you happily may receive mercy. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ اتَّقُوا مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَمَا خَلْفَكُمْ Be mindful of what is مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيكُمْ What is between your hands. What is between your hands. وَمَا خَلْفَكُمْ What is behind you. So that you may receive Allah's mercy. What is that? That is between your hands. And that is what is behind you. Pause and think, what is what is between your hands and what is behind you? In reference to exactly the contra to a state of iqmah, the muqmah doesn't see beyond their head is raised and they're stiff. They only see down at their feet. The contra, the person who can receive Allah's mercy, is a person who is constantly reflecting upon the internal affairs of their life and the past of their life, what they've done. They don't say, I don't regret anything. I'm going to forget about whatever I've done in the past. It's in the past. Kiss it goodbye. No, they reflect upon and remember atharahum they reflect upon the legacy they're leaving what legacy am i leaving what impact am i having am i screwing up my children with my behavior am i setting a bad example are you know in an extreme sense are my children all going to grow up with psychological complexes because i was such a horrible parent Am I messing up my wife? Am I messing up my husband? Uh, how am I as a neighbor? How am I as a member of society? And how am I inside, between their hands, inside, in my heart and in my intellect? Am I living a purposeful life, a life full of perception and insight? Or am I walking like a zombie, blind? Note, وَمَا تَأْتِيهِمْ مِنْ آيَةٍ إِلَّا كَانُوا عَنْهَا مُعْرِضُونَ That every time Allah sends them signs, they turn away. Okay. Are the signs that Allah sends as blatant as the three messengers? Remember that guy that came from the margins? From an Aqsa al-Madina? Sometimes... And often, actually, the most disempowered is your sign. The most like you is your sign. Allah sends signs all the times. We ignore these signs and say they're coincidences or they're not relevant to us. So, as Imam Ghazali said, Every time you hear about a person who's starved to death, that's your ayah, that's your sign. Every time you hear about a person who lost their home and lives in the streets, that's your sign. Every time you hear about someone eating from the garbage, that's your sign. Every time you hear about someone imprisoned unjustly and tortured, that's your sign. Like the man who came from the margins, who suffered 
a horrible fate. That's the sign. And because they ignored the sign, the, that, that metaphorical parable of the, of the village, they were destroyed. Allah is telling you, you know, you think that all of that doesn't, is not recorded. No, Allah knows. Allah keeps track. And not only that, Allah keeps track of what legacy you leave behind. And when you ignore these signs, the legacy that you leave behind is horrible. That is why immediately what follows from that, after telling you about the signs that you ignore, what, what does Allah immediately remind us of? This is verse 47. So, right after mentioning the signs, and when they are told, spend from what Allah has given you, spend doing what? Spend feeding the, those the needy, the signs, as Imam Ghazali said. What is their response? The response is logical. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. So, um, I guess my one paranormal story wasn't enough. <laughs> you know, something a little bit uh, more intense level. So, yeah, that that like our here, like our power went black. Like everything went off right at that moment. And then it came back on again for a brief bit, and then it went off again. So we were all like, okay, we need to go pray. Um, so alhamdulillah, we're back, and um, I guess that really just underscores how incredible this surah is, and this alhamdulillah. So alhamdulillah, it's, it's all good. <laughs> so we'll get started again. Yes. <clears throat> Okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Salatu wa salam ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa ta'ala bi ihsani ila yawmuddin. A quick note. Uh, you notice <coughs> we're talking about وَمَا تَأْتِيهِ مِنْ آيَةٍ مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ إِلَّا كَانُوا عَنْهَا مُعَرِّدِينَ the, the, any ayah that comes, they turn away. Uh, and subhanAllah, I mean, this is a good example. When at that moment the electricity went off, you have a choice. You can choose to say this is coincidence, nothing but coincidence, or you could choose to read it as an ayah. You could choose to say, well, this is an ayah of the power of evil and I'm scared of evil and I'm powerless before evil or you could say this is an ayah of the power of God that it, 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 it was whatever the purpose is we're back alhamdulillah and I'm not scared as long as I have God with me you have choices and this is what Surah Yaseer consistently focuses on and centers on that the volition of a human being 
and how they choose to interact with revelation and they how they choose to interact with prophecy. Okay, now we said that the intellect plays a role whether you're going to read the signs of Allah in one way or you're going to ignore the signs of Allah. So what comes next right away is of all the things, and we said that the signs of Allah could be the poverty of a human being, the suffering of a human being. These are signs. So, Allah confirms us by telling us, and they, when they are told, spend, spend doing what? Spend helping, feeding those who need to be fed. Their response is rational. I mean, it, it is, from a logical perspective, uh, it's a plausible argument. Well, why should we feed people? If God would have willed, they wouldn't be poor. If God would have willed, they would have had money. God didn't will it. And so just because you construct an argument, that argument does not necessarily stand ground or, or hold water when it is contradicts what is innately part of your virtue. What you know as from an innate perspective is right and wrong. The ability of human beings to construct arguments as Allah says human beings are of all Allah's creations are the most argumentative. And that is why they have the ability to defy the most and to rise to levels of defiance that are truly remarkable. So, there is a narrative that is often said in the context of Ayah 47, and that is, uh, the narrative says that when Abu Bakr, uh, the companion of the, of the Prophet Islam, uh, was known for his generosity and the fact that he would in Mecca feed the poor and spend a great deal of his money helping the indigent. And that the kuffar of Mecca went to Abu Bakr and said, well, don't you say you believe in Allah? Well, why doesn't Allah feed these people? And Abu Bakr responds to them and says, I am Allah's will. I am the instrument of Allah's will. Allah, in fact, feeds these people, but it is through me that Allah feeds these people. And the, the, uh, often you read in the sources that, the, uh, that this verse was revealed in the context of this incident. However, again, um, did this incident take place? Probably, yes, it did. Was this verse revealed in response to this incident? No. The evidence for that is rather weak. What probably happened is that this incident took place and then commentators said, well, this incident goes with this area. That's just for your information so, so you get, you know, you know from the tradition what is said and all of that. But again, it it's rather than saying that this is an occasion for revelation, we say this is an incident that demonstrates what the ayah is talking about. 
And so, you know, you can find excuses to overlook the ayat. You can find excuses to say, well, it's not my problem that people end up in prison and end up being tortured. It's not my problem that people suffer. It's not my problem that all types of things happen in the world that are unjust. But it is what author, what legacy are you leaving behind? And as the legacy of people build up, and if the legacy is an evil legacy, evil imposes the shackles that, that blinds people. And that is why an unjust generation really, really burdens the generation behind it. Because it leaves behind enough darkness. In our language today, it leaves enough negative energy that it becomes harder and harder for further generations to free themselves from the blinding shackles of darkness and negative energy. And then part of this argumentativeness is that they tell their response is not just, well, if Allah would have willed, these people wouldn't be poor. So why should we spend our money? But the argument, well, you know, okay, so you're telling us there's going to be in a year after, what is that exactly going to be? We, and here, there's a um, rather an interesting comment that um, I read commenting on verse 48. The reason that they say, well, when is this Time, what is this hereafter going to occur? The, the, um, I believe this is from Tafsir al Razi. If I, I didn't write, write down, but I, might, I remember it's from Tafsir al Razi. That there's a problem with the conscience, the consciousness of these people. These are people that live in the present moment. And because they exist in the present moment, they live from moment to another, they find it very hard. And the more that they become anchored in the present moment, the more you live as an empirical, material human being concerned with the present moment, the more it becomes, the harder and harder it is for you to foresee or to perceive of the paranormal, if you will, of that which is not, not empirical and not material. It becomes harder and harder. So the, the, the author, he comments, says, you know, they only understand, they only see what is below them. Literally, they, they see what is at their feet. And because they only see what is at their feet, they live in the present. And because they live in the present, it becomes harder to conceive of things like angels, demons, uh, hereafter, resurrection. It becomes more and more remote from your consciousness. At that point, Surah Yasin shifts 
to the hereafter, a picture of the hereafter, if you will, and says, well, you know, okay, believe or not believe, there'll come a moment, and that moment, min al-ajdasi ila rabbim it, it, the Arabic here is very powerful. They will literally be f- flowing like a river flows from the graves to the to Allah, ila Rabbihim, to their God. It's like okay, well, you know, argue all you want, deny all you want, live in the moment all you want, be what you are, but the moment will come, and. The promise will be fulfilled and you will come flowing as if in rivers to Allah. قالوا يا ويلنا من بعثنا من مرقدنا هذا ما وعد الرحمن وصدق المرسلون. And at that moment the panic sets in. Oh. <laughs> Forgive the language. Oh crap. Oh darn. Oh crap. We are in trouble. What? Now we, we've come back to life. This is Rahman. This is what Rahman. Notice that Allah chose a Rahman of all the Allah's names. Allah chose a Rahman. This is what Ar-Rahman promised. And this is what the messengers told us about. Okay. So, the shift to the hereafter affirms that the law of the Rahman is absolute justice. لا تظلم نفس you will be held accountable for your deeds and for your legacy. Note, for your deeds and for your legacy. Did you leave a good legacy on this earth? Or did you leave suffering and misery? It's one thing for us to think about our deeds, but think about your legacy. Your legacy is everything you come in contact with in your life. The way you affect and impact other human beings. And then a shift to a brief description of the hereafter, typical Quranic modality and style the only thing I, I will pause here and say some of the most interesting this is verse uh, 56 when it talks about they and their partners being rewarded there is a very interesting discussion in Surah Yasin or commentators in the intellectual tradition of our ancestors about these as well the most of course you know you have the range of opinions that we've talked about when we did surah al-rahman um these as are 
your who you will marry or who you will be be your companion if you're a man or, or a woman you know that's not it's not a gendered issue um, yes women according to the view of those who said that these are companions yes women will have companions that are you know handsome looking very you know desirable men more desirable than the loser husbands you <laughs> ended up with in life you know the, the typical stuff uh, but that's not the, the interesting, interesting part some said that no the Azwaj are your, your partners in on earth um, these will be your Azwaj so basically who you married to you'll be stuck with in the hereafter so you better choose wisely who you marry to because you know according to that school of thought the most interesting uh, school of thought in my view are those who said no the partnerships and companions will be a function will be a creation by Allah composed of your deeds your your companion your zawj in the hereafter indeed will be your deeds if your deeds are truly beautiful they will be your companion that a companion that is most beautiful if your deeds are you know just above the mark well that's a companion you end up with um, In our modern age, we know which school became the dominant one. You know, the, 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 um, the, the lust-filled school. You know, you're, you're going to have... Um, but you can't say that that was the dominant school in Islamic history. In Islamic history, you find an enormous amount of variety, uh, including those who just said, you know, it is silly to, to imagine that in the hereafter we will need or that we will be engaged in something like sex. It, 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 sex is like going to the bathroom or like procreation. I'm not saying that going to the bathroom and procreation are the same, obviously, but <laughs> hope not. But uh, that it, it, Allah who created human beings the way they are on earth is capable of creating a new reality. We don't know that what that new reality is. But what Allah is telling us that it's a beautiful reality. Uh, and then the, the, the one that I find just the most fascinating that says, no, the, the azwaj are your deeds. The, the, and this is, again, the, the, um, the uh, Hulami school, the, the holographic school. Okay. A short pause was was fifty-eight. Salamun Kawulan Min Rabbin Rahim. If you can memorize this, memorize this. Salamun Kawulan Min Rabbin Rahim. I tell you that each surah I use a dhikr. And my dhikr for Surah Yaseen was Salamun Kawlan Min Rabbin Rahim. And if you look at the very end of the surah, ayah 83, Subhanalladhi biyadihi malakut kullu shayt wa ilayhi turja'oon. These two ayahs were my dhikr for Surah Yaseen. 
I would sit salamun qawlan min rabbin rahim wa subhanallah alladhi lahu malakutu kulli shay wa ilayhi turz'aun and I would repeat them for hours as I worshipped on Surah Yasin. Now, salamun qawlan min rabbin rahim there is no way that this is going to be translated during the um, there is no way that it's going to be translated adequately but if 58 piece a word from a Lord the most merciful it is far more powerful than that Muslims through the centuries whenever they get scared like when a Muslim sees a ghost our our parents and grandparents, probably our grandparents, because I'm not sure about our parents, you know, we all became westernized and lost a lot of our tradition. But I, definitely, I remember my grandparents, whenever they would get scared, they say, meaning, it is Allah that assures me of peace, and it's Allah my protector. Memorize that. It is a it is a powerful protection. It is a powerful protection. Salamun Kaulan Mirabbin Rahim. A word of assurance, a word of guarantee, salam, peace. From what? From the most merciful Lord. Salamun Kaulan Mirabbin Rahim. A very powerful protector that will inshallah keep you safe in so many situations in your life of course then allah goes and reminds us of the obvious that didn't i tell you human beings be aware of demons don't fall note here that don't this is uh, ayah 60 don't worship the shaitan. Did, how many of us are Satanists? Well, hopefully not many of us. Although if you go on Amazon and you look up books on Satanism, you find hundreds of readers. Satanism seems to be very popular among kids these days. But, you know, okay, so these, these people are screwed up. But most of us don't, we're, we're not Satanists. But we slip into, when we worship, our conceptions and our constructed beliefs we are worshiping what takes us away from Allah if you want a perception of life beyond of the barzakh the state between the hereafter and this life the state after death the barzakh has one center of light and one center of mercy and one center of compassion it has one center where you will feel repose and peace and safety the closer you get to that center the safer you feel the warmer the you feel the more protected the feel the further away from the center the more you are in demonic territory and the more scary it is that center is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
in this world, we are free to construct our own centers. In this world, Allah has given you the choice. We are free to even protect ourselves from all types of things. Once death comes, it's a different ballgame. You are no longer free. It's a reality that is far more stark than the reality that we have in this earth. Okay, so... Surah Yasin then says what we've already encountered in Ijathiyah that you will not need to speak about your deeds and your legacy. What will testify is, this is Ayah um, 65, what will testify uh, your, your, your hands, your legs, your mouth, and as I told you that in Surah Al-Jathiyah, that Allah Alam, but I, 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 I firmly convinced that you, that the, the way that your body will testify against you is that you will see yourself. You will see a film, if you will, a, a holographic reproduction of all your deeds. You will be able to see yourself sinning. You know, there are a lot of things that when we do, we don't feel bad about. But if we see a film of someone, like a secret camera of someone else doing it, a typical thing, this is I encountered in the human trafficking field that I've, as you know, I've, I've worked in. Um, when, you see, when you show people, you have a the, the 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 police has a secret camera and had filmed, um, uh, um, uh, have filmed um, pimps abusing their women, and filmed men abusing children. A lot of times, the thing that the defendant does not want to see the most and is the most uncomfortable with, is when you show that film in court. And seeing yourself doing it is a horrible experience. And if you saw others do it, you would be able to condemn it. But when you're doing it, it's a different thing. And that is what is in accountability to be shown what your hands, what your body did because of your will is going to be trying. يحمين الله ويغفر لنا ويعفو عنا يا رب يا رب ارحم يا رب اغفر. Here we must pause at verse 66. ولو نشاء لطمسنا على اعينهم فاستبقوا الصراط فانا يبصرون. How do they translate 66? The translation says its spades are as the heads. No, sorry. Uh, six six. Where is it? Oh, I'm on the wrong surah. That's why. Okay. 
Oh, I, I found this seed, so it's good. Okay, he translated it. And had we willed, we would have blotted out their eyes, then they would race to the pass. Yet how would they see? Okay, pause here for a second. We are in the hereafter. If we are talking about the hereafter, if we are talking about the hereafter, what would be the significance of saying, if we would have willed, I'm sorry, can you turn off the phone? Uh, if we would have willed, we would have blotted out their eyes, meaning we would have blinded them. And then they wouldn't be able to seek out the straight path. If we are in the hereafter, what straight path? Some commentators, among the Ahl al-Hadith especially, said, well, that's because in the hereafter, the path to heaven is, there is going to be something you walk on that's is a sirat al-mustaqim. And those who will not be able to see will try to walk that path and will fall into hellfire. And those who can see will walk into that path and end up in heaven. The Usulis disagreed very strongly and said, these ayat are clearly not talking about the hereafter. It is talking, it's commenting about the legacy of these people on earth. And it is saying, people, listen, you had an option of seeking the straight path. If we wanted, we could have led you all astray. We could have denied you the ability to seek the straight path. We could have made you blind, but that's not what Allah wants from you. That is exactly, again, when it says, وَلَوْ نَشَاءُ لَمَسَخْنَاهُمْ عَلَى مَكَانَتِهِمْ فَمَسْتَطَاعُمْ مُضِيًّا وَلَا يُرْجَعُونَ وَلَا يَرْجِعُونَ That if we would also would have wished, we could have frozen them in a state that is incapable of growth. But it is, so after talking about the hereafter, it goes back and says, don't think that it was Allah's will that you didn't see it, the straight path, the straight path. And don't claim, don't believe, don't dare think that it was Allah's will that you ended up shackled and blind. If Allah would have willed it, if Allah would have done it, but that's not Allah's will. Allah created you with the ability to seek the straight path and it was your dis your decision not to seek the straight path. Ishrazi, especially, and his school of thought has an interesting point about this that I, I'm just going to share with you without spending a lot of time on it so that you know how rich our tradition is. Ishrazi believed that in the hereafter, 
and and he I mean I'm not going to go into his evidence because he's he has a long long discussion about this and by the way Mullah Sadra also believed this um, that in the hereafter people will come in different levels of physical of of recreated embodiments those who are who have purified themselves in their lives and thought god the most and came closer to the divine their physical manifestation would be very different than the physical manifestation of those who walk the path away from God. Those who came, who walk the path towards God will be an embodiment of luminous substances, light and beauty. While the further away you got from God, you will be deformed in the way that chaos is deformed. The, the, the sunnah of Allah is order and creation. Proportionality is the secret of beauty. And then when you add light to proportionality, you get luminousness. Forgive me for this, but it's not my fault. This is what Shirazi and Mullah Sadr say. They say, look at what comes after you consume food, when you go to the bathroom, the cells are deformed. And because they're deformed, they smell bad. And they look bad. And he actually says that in the hereafter, there are going to be human beings that are so deformed they're like poop. They stink. And it is because they, they chose the path away from the luminous and the nizan, the balance. The path of Allah is the path of justice, balance, proportionality, and luminosity. The other path, the path of demons, now, all of course, the Istisraqiyun, they've had experiences with demons, and they always describe demons as stinky. They smell really bad. They smell like rotted corpses. Um, and they don't have shapes and forms that are like angels. They're not proportional, and they're not luminous. Um, and you choose what embodiment you want in the hereafter. I have to admit to you, the reason I mention this is that that personally, and I'm not, you know, imposing my beliefs on you um, in any way, uh, personally has it had an enormous impact on me in my life. Initially, I started out completely rejecting that school but then I discovered I was rejecting the school because I couldn't understand their I couldn't understand their Arabic. It was very difficult. I would read it and I would pretend that I understand it until I had teachers that would call me on the fact that I didn't understand anything I was reading. And then when they called me on it, then you work harder and then you start understanding. And when you start understanding, 
you start realizing that their arguments are deeply philosophical, but also deeply compelling. And, you know, Ya Rab, my prayer always in my dua that Allah, please, when in my resurrection, I want to be resurrected in a beautified form. I don't want to be resurrected in poop. Forgive the... That scares me. Okay, so because Allah is referring back to your life on earth and saying, you know, if Allah would have willed, you wouldn't have had the, even the ability to seek the this, this straight path. And if Allah would have willed, you, you would have been a masq, a deformity. That is why then it's followed by this comment, Don't you notice the sunnah of Allah in creation? that the older you get, the more you lose of your proportionality, of the logic of beauty, as in your cells start, start deteriorating. Your organs don't perform as well as they used to. And that in that is a sunnah for you to reflect upon. That is also why the, the, those who are close to Allah when they are in resurrected, they are not resurrected as old people, even regardless of how old they died. They're resurrected in their most perfect form or closest to the, you know, in, in that they existed in, in earth. Okay, so why then at this point, the segue, you look at verse 69. Why the sudden segue here to saying, you know what, we didn't teach the prophet poetry and he's not a poet. Pay attention. We didn't teach him poetry. And it's not even permitted. Why that segue? If I was doing Surah Yasin with students, I would give them a very hard time about it till they figured it out. But I'll get to the, I'll cut to the to the point. Where's Sharif, by the way? Oh. My invisibility cloak on. Doesn't have his glasses either. I'm not wearing my glasses, and Sharif, you know, has a vis invisibility cloak. He has the ability to appear and and disappear at will. Manifest. And so I try to keep track of him. <laughs> okay, so why is it that Allah, you, the, the short answer is this, Allah is telling you, listen, this, is, this Quran is not about invoking a bunch of emotions and superstitions, it's about the logic of creation. Poetry is anchored in exaggerations and anchored in evoking your emotions. It doesn't mean that the Quran is anti-poetry. In fact, we know that a lot of the, the, the companions were poets, and some of them very profound, like Hassan ibn Salaam. And the Prophet ﷺ himself was fond of the poetry of Labib, and Labib was among the poets of, of al-Mu'allaqat al-Saba, the, the, the greatest seven poets of Mecca, 
And when he converted to Islam, he said, the Quran is so eloquent, I, I quit poetry because I, I can't, I'm poetry, my poetry sounds stupid next to the Quran. But the point is, is that Allah is saying, you want to comprehend the fact that you have the potential of reaching Surat al-Mustaqim. You want to comprehend the, 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 the wisdom from bringing life from death, the wisdom from the process of birth to, to, to growth, to aging, to dying. Use your reason. Use your intellect. And of course, that's made abundantly clear in Ayah 70, by the way. يُنْدِرَ مَنْ كَانَ حَيَّ وَيَحُكُّ قَوْلُ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ It's logic that's going to that's going to uh, compel those who want to deny. Then it moves to demonstrating further examples, as the Quran modality often does, of the wonders of creation. Going to, you know, what Allah has created that we are able to domesticate, what we are able to grow as food, what we are able to drink, etc., etc. What deserves pause, what deserves pause, is that after using or pointing to the laws of creation that are compelling It then it started out by by alerting us to human beings, to the Quran, to the Prophet. And remember, this is early revelation. This is the revelation at a time, Surah Yasin, at a time when the Prophet was going through the hardest period of his prophecy. Um, he had, he was about to lose his grandfather, who he loved, and his grandfather was going to die an unbeliever. She was going to break the prophet's heart. He's going to lose his dear wife, Khadija, who was his mainstay in power and his partner. And at the time, Muslims are being persecuted all over and the Prophet Islam is powerless. But in addition to that, like the man who was martyred and said, you know, it was sad for his people and was sad for what has happened to his people that they can't see. The Prophet Islam, his heart is breaking because he knows what the truth is. He knows that the Barzakh is coming, that the world that comes after death is truth. He knows the resurrection is truth. He knows all of that, and people are saying, we don't believe you. So, Allah goes back to the Prophet and says, فَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ قَوْلَهُمْ, قولهم. إِنَّ نَعْلَمُ مَا يُسِرُّونَ وَمَا يُعْلِنُونَ 
So, I know you're sad. But don't be sad. Because all of this is, even their kuf, even their kuf, is Allah's choice. Allah just told you that if Allah would have willed, everyone would have believed. If Allah would have willed, everyone would have disbelieved. You are a morsel. We know it breaks your heart. And his heart was going to be broken more at the time of the revelation of Surah Yasin with the loss of Khadija, etc. But as the Quran repeatedly says to the Prophet whether they're guided or not, that's not your business. Whether they believe or not, that's not up to you. Just rest assured that if Allah would have willed, things would have gone your way. But they haven't. And don't you dare think that that is not a part of Allah's will as well. And then this this remarkable comment af- right after so don't they see not just don't you see prophet but don't say they see this is ayah 77 don't human beings see that we've created them but from a clot and they grow up to be great argumentators they they, they become very argumentative they grow up to be great disputants. They start out from nothing and they forget that they started out from nothing and that they were children with all types of superstitious beliefs and all types of, you know, cutie things. And then they grow up to be arrogant and argumentative. And subhanAllah that it switches from consoling to the Prophet to consoling the Prophet through talking to human beings which is the modality of Surah Yasin. Again, I remind you, human beings, the Quran, and the Prophet. All of you three are addressed in Surah Yasin as if you are companions to one another. We pause next with Ayah 80. After saying, look, human beings become argumentative. Look, human beings forget that they're created from nothing. And, and then they say, how could we be recreated? Well, the same, per, the, the, the same God that created them from nothing is capable of, of recreating them. Um, there's a story here that someone came to the Prophet and had a bone and then crushed it and said, you want to tell me that God is going to bring this bone back? Uh, This story is often mentioned in the context of uh, uh, commenting on Uh, you know, who can recreate the bones after they've they've become become dust. Well, Well, if they were created once, they can be recreated again. You know, this this reminds me. It's a silly story, but I was in a conf- in a uh, in a conference once, and then there was, someone asked 
I don't know why they invite me if they don't want me to answer questions, you know. So anyway, so they, they had invited me and then they, uh, someone asked about organ donors. And I said, uh, or donating your organs is good. It is part of your author, your, your, part of what you leave behind. You'll be rewarded and it's a good legacy for you and so on. And then the Imam got really upset and said, no, it's haram. I said, why is it haram? He said, because if someone's kidney goes to someone else or someone's heart goes to someone else, then in the day of resurrection, that heart will go to this person or that person. It will be confusing. <laughs> Allah, I guess, will not know what to do. You know, Allah now created, recreated this person, and every most people in the imagine agreed with him, and I was thrown out <laughs> um, because I, I insisted. You know, this, this is shirk. How can you tell me this is somehow going to confuse Allah to, whether it, to give the kidney to this or the liver to this person or that person? And people threw me out because they they, they thought that I was saying I don't know why they invited me. I honestly, you know, I just don't <laughs> understand people sometimes. We need psychiatrists, not not fuqaha. <laughs> anyway, okay. We pause here with ayah eighty. Why? الذي جعل لكم من الشجر الأخضر الأخضر نارا فإذا أنتم منه تقدون. The reason I pause here is because. Um, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, chlorophyll. Uh, the old Arabs paused at this ayah and said, okay, from green, green trees, we light fire. Some said, well, this means that they're green and then they dry up and then when they dry up, because if, if a tree is green, that's not the best thing to use for fire, obviously. And then they dry up and then we use them for fire. Um, some said, no, there used to be a, a, a type of tree in Arabia um, that was actually uh, a green in, in color, that if you park it against another part of the of like you break the branch and you strike them together it sparks and it lights fire the the problem with that was that type of tree existed before the time of the prophet in Arabia so by the time the prophet comes it was actually had become extinct some said well we're not sure what this precisely means and then modern Muslims especially the, you know, the scientists types, uh, they said, well, this is remarkable because we know now that trees store energy and that the way they store energy, they, they eventually become coal, they eventually become oil, and it is their, their ability to store energy. And that energy is what is used, is then released by human beings, um, whether it's coal or oil or, you, or just logs. Uh, the, the, the interaction between water and sun and I think the, the, what in Arabic they call chlorophyll, I think it's chloroform or something like that in English, I'm not sure. Um, 
and the storing of carbohydrates and so on. And they said this is, this is remarkable because it, modern Muslims can understand the, this Quranic reference better than pre-modern Muslims. And then coming close to the penultimate statement, Allah tells you what Allah has been alluding to, to this point. أَوَلَيْسَ الَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ بِقَدَارٍ Sorry, وَالَّذِي خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ بِقَادِرٍ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَخْلِقْ مِثْلَهُمْ بَلْ هُوَ الْخَلَّاقُ الْعَلِيمِ That, that has meticulously measured the heavens and the earth capable of creating a new reality. This goes back to Shirazi's arguments and the, the, the whole school of Shirazi that, you know, it, it is silly to assume that we're just going to be exactly in our human forms in the year after. إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا أَنْ يَقُولُ أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ This became very famous in Islamic, this, this ayah became very famous in Islamic theology, that when Allah says to something, kun fayakun, be, so it is. Uh, again, just be familiar with it, because in if you, anyone that grows up in a Muslim culture would be, have been exposed to that expression from the surah, that amruhu in arada shay'an yaqula law kun fayakun that all Allah has to do is issue the command um, and then the closing of the surah which is the part of the dhikr that I alluded to فَسُبْحَانَ الَّذِي بِيَدِهِ مَلَكُوتُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ so what is what is the the, the the bottom line of it? What is the bottom line? Glorify, recognize the remarkable reality of the Lord of everything. The Lord of what you know and what you don't know. بِيَدِهِ مَلَكُوتُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ The word malakut is very big. Because the word malakut is not just the mulk. It's not just material reality that we are aware of in this earth. But the malakut is all the levels of dimensions of reality. And all the realities of creation that are beyond our imagination. It is not just about the earth, and it's not just about our galaxy. It's not it, the Lord that to everything, in, in, who, everything in, in literally in that Lord's palm. And the bottom line is. When all said and done, you return to this God. There's one thing I want to make sure of because I might have my my brain is telling me that I've skipped it, but um, 
but I'm not sure. No, I, my, the, the, rain, my, the reason my brain confused me is that it's, it's, it's Tony, it's, um, what's that thing when a radio, um, changes channels and... Static. Tuner. Tuning, tu tuning, tuning, right? It's tuning into a different surah, um, and so I, I had interference from a different surah, sorry. Um, um, but I, okay, I, I retuned and I'm focused. Um, so, what is Surat Yasin? The bottom line about Surat Yasin. The bottom line about Surat Yasin it's about the living dead. It's not about the dead. It's not a surah that talks to the dead. It's a surah that talks to the living as if dead, the muqmahun, those who have shackled themselves and see very little. And if they see with true perception, they would see how wonderfully complex and rich and nuanced and purposeful this life is. And the fallacies of correct and, and correct logic and the fallacies of what wrong logic does, like saying, well, you know, it's their fault, they're poor, or God created them poor, so let God worry about it, or whatever. And calling upon you by reflecting on the Quran and the example of the Prophet to be among the living living, those who live life fully aware of what will come. And the fact that life begins and ends with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is the center of everything. That's why Surah Yasin was described by theologians as the mother of the Quran, although I, I mean I'm, every surah is a mother of the Quran, every surah. But that's why the earlier generations understood that this is such a critical surah. And that is why Surah Yasin is among the early surahs that formed the Muslim character. And that is also why eventually, because when human beings, you know, culturally, they, they corrupt things and habit sets in and they forget. That's why they, they you know, they started reading it in, when they have a funeral, they have a death, to remind themselves of the, the, that you know well it's not it, it's there's the you know the physical death but there's also the living death that's where the practice originated 
But then eventually they forgot and they started reciting it as if it's directed to the dead. Uh, but the dead don't benefit from Surah Yaseen anymore. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. And we've done Surah Yaseen. Every time we get done with one of these surahs, I feel an immense amount of release, an immense amount of accomplishment. You know, I've lived with the sword for 30 years as if they're a private secret, and then it comes out, and then I'm like, oh. you know, for over the years, I've had so many people come to me and say, talk to me about Surah Yasin, and my response is like, well, you know, it's complicated. You know, maybe inshallah that some the day will come we'll talk about it. And I've been saying this to people for twenty years. So for all those people who heard me say this about Surah Yasin in the past twenty years, now finally it's out. <laughs> now you know what I was talking about. Alhamdulillah.